right, welcome back to the Speak Truth Sports podcast. I'm Bert, and I'm joined by... Trey, as always. Uh, and today we have a lot, a lot of stuff to go over. Uh, we are completely packed with NFL and, M- and NBA news. Uh, if you are a fan of weekly sports coverage, uh, you know, we, we grab the biggest news stories from around the week, and we sit down and we discuss it. Uh, if you're a fan of that, you're in the right place. Uh, if you're on YouTube, please like, share, subscribe, you know, hit the bell for notifications. Uh, and if you are listening on any type of podcasting app, uh, please feel free to uh, share us and like us and rate us and whatever you do. Uh, we we want to grow as much as possible so we can deliver an even better product to you guys. Uh, and so with all that out of the way, let's just jump right into it. Uh, let's start with the NFL. So Philip Rivers officially retires. Uh, go ahead and rattle off some stats of him real quick so we can appreciate his, him right now. Yeah, Philip Rivers, uh, he threw for 63,440 passing yards, which is the fifth most in NFL history. He threw for 421 passing touchdowns, which is also the fifth most in NFL history. And his overall record as a starting quarterback was 134 uh, wins and 106 losses. And one more important stat about Philip Rivers, he never missed a game in his whole career. So, you know, props to Philip Rivers. Yeah, that's absolutely insane. Um, there's a lot of talk about, is he a Hall of Famer? What's your take on that? I don't know if he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's definitely he's definitely a Hall of Famer. He'll make it in there eventually, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, Philip Rivers throughout his career, you know, he didn't always win the big games, but, you know, the fact that he was so durable and still put up all those numbers, I think he still does deserve a Hall of Fame spot. I agree, it's not first ballot. But, you know, I, he should be in there, I think. Um, but, yeah. So, thank you for everything, Philip Rivers. Uh, enjoy your life after all this. Uh, and let's keep it going. Let's keep it rolling. Uh, Haskins, Dwayne Haskins, is now a Pittsburgh Steeler. You know, uh, as a Ravens fan, I'm pretty happy about this. <laughs> uh, I, I do genuinely hope you know, Dwayne Haskins turns it around, but, you know, the Steelers locker room doesn't really have the best reputation right now, especially, uh, you know, it doesn't have the best reputation with keeping players in check uh, in terms of like their character immaturity. Uh, And there's a lot of immaturity in that locker room, (laughs) at least this past season there was, Uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins, I don't think it's going to help the situation at all. Uh, I really you know, I don't think this is a great landing spot for him. I'm going to be honest. You know, if it, I hope he does turn it around, though. I do hope the best for Dwayne Haskins. But I, I have a question for you. So where are the Steelers going now? Because they did, they did let Duck Hodges go. Are the Steelers still going to – are they going to draft a quarterback or are they going to go with somebody else? Because, I mean, they have three quarterbacks already on the roster. And Big Ben is returning. Uh, I'm pretty sure you said that. So – you know, where are the Steelers going with this? Oh, uh, I think the Steelers are heading in a direction where obviously they know Big Ben's on his last few legs. Um, I think Dwayne Haskins is kind of, I feel like for me, I think he's better than Mason Rudolph. Um, I don't know. I think they'll still end up drafting a quarterback because that is something they do need. I don't know if it'll be this year or if it'll be in the next few years. Because um, this year it seems like all the quarterbacks um, 
they're it seems like they're all in a higher spot than where the they would land to land for Pittsburgh to you know for them to get one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do disagree a bit. I do disagree with you a little bit when you say that this is not an ideal spot for him. Um, yes, there has been a lot of history of you know interesting characters in the Steelers locker room to say the least. Um, but you know I feel like Dwayne Haskins he's built in a way where he played kind of similar to Big Ben. Uh, in some aspects. Um, so I think that maybe he could learn and get mentored under Big Ben and, you know, hopefully become that second stringer that they need. And poten- I don't know if he'll become a first stringer ever or he'll ever start there, but if Big Ben does go down, I feel like they can trust Haskins a bit more. But there is someone else on that roster I do think that should get a bigger opportunity, and that's Josh Dobbs. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> yeah, you know, I hope he's not mentored too much by Big Ben because <laughs> uh, we all know his off-the-court issues. But, you know, like I said, I, I still stand by it. I don't think this is a great situation for Haskins. In terms of playing time, I think this could be a good situation because, you know, if Big Ben goes down, he, he's he's getting up there in age. If he goes down, you know, Haskins would likely be the either the starter or the backup to Mason Rudolph, who if he plays bad, they're going to throw Haskins in there. So, I mean, in terms of playing time, like on the field, it's not that bad of a fit, but my concerns are still off the field and in the locker room. Those are my two concerns. Well, I mean, my thing with Haskins is I feel like being away from home, um, you know, when he was in the DMV area at Washington, uh, you know, the area he grew up in, like was raised at, um, I just felt like there's a lot of, like I said, in another previous podcast, a lot of yes men, and a lot of people, you know, talking in his ear and stuff like that. I feel like now he's in, Pittsburgh you know a lot of those distractions are gone he's away from home and I just feel like you know maybe he can focus a lot more on his craft and on his game and hopefully he'll mature more uh being around different individuals and you know uh, a lot of credit goes to Mike Tomlin Mike Tomlin is he typically keeps people in check um you know with a lot of people a lot of the other previous athletes that acted up did act up on their own I would not blame anything on Mike Tomlin when it comes to that aspect uh but Mike Tomlin's one of those guys he will keep most of his players in check uh, if needed to. So I feel like hopefully Mike Tomlin can also help out. And I think they mentioned that Mike Tomlin and uh, Haskins share the same agent, if I'm not uh, incorrect. So yeah. it makes sense that he brought him over there. Maybe he could also get a chance to mentor him and, you know, better him as a person and hopefully as a quarterback. Yeah, you're right on them having the same agent. Um, that's a little behind the scenes stuff right there. Uh, it's a lot of speculation. <laughs> Uh, I don't really want to get into that, but let's jump to, <laughs> let's jump to something really, I don't even know how to describe this, but so DK Metcalf uh, was, he was in a Bleacher Report article uh, just recently, and he claims that the Steelers offense suffered down the line because teams just started to figure us out. And that's a quote. Uh he said he said it himself on the I Am Athlete podcast. This is according to Bleacher Report. Uh, and, you know, he's also quoted as, as saying, uh, quote, we've been running deep pass ever since Coach Pete got there. Play action, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, go deep. Teams just said, we're not going to let you all go deep. The Seahawks burst out of the gate. Uh, they were scored more than 30 points in their first eight games. Uh, and they scored over 30 uh, 
Ooh, let me see. They scored over 30 once uh, in the final nine weeks. As opposed to scoring 30 seven times in the first eight weeks. So they, as we talked about in a, in a previous podcast, they really did fall off offensively. I'd mentioned in our playoff preview that, you know, I was more concerned about the Seahawks offense than I was about their defense. Uh, and both of those things became very concerning in that game, but we talked about that already. <laughs> uh, yeah, the defense did get better. They added Carlos uh, Dunlap. And in general, they, they held their opponents to, I believe, less than 24 in like towards the back half of the weeks, like almost no opponent went over 24 on them. Uh, and yeah, the Seahawks, they fired their offensive coordinator already, but you know, this kind of seems like a shot at Pete Carroll right here from DK Metcalf. What do you think about this? I mean, I don't think it's intentional or what he's trying to say is like to uh, obviously um, disregard anything his coach has said or has done for him. Um, Pete Carroll is still a good coach, in my opinion, still a great coach. Um, the offense did get very stale, and people definitely saw through their offensive scheme. Um, I don't know. I just felt like they were kind of – they kind of did the same thing every single week. So it makes sense that people caught on to them. Um, my concern is where are they going to go offensively from here? Um, I know at one point they were considering looking at Anthony Lynn for uh, offensive coordinator position, and they interviewed a couple other uh, candidates as well. But, you know, offensively, this team does need a large revamp. The talent's still there. Offensive line, that can still use some work, as always. They've never been necessarily the greatest offensive line we've seen. Um, and obviously, in that playoff game, they really let Russell Wilson down. Um, but the, like I said, there's still offensive pieces as the, from, like, the receiver, receiver position and then the running back position. Um, talent's still there. They just got to figure out how to create schemes more than just run the ball run the ball play action go deep and all that other stuff yeah i totally agree i mean dk metcalf he was he's completely right here in terms of they just ran the ball and threw it deep that's those were like the only two things they mainly did uh they really need to spice up their offensive game in general um pete carroll the only thing is that when pete carroll fired uh sorry when the offensive corner got fired for the seahawks pete carroll came down and said you know, we're a running team. We need to get back to running. Like, I, I can imagine that didn't make DK very happy. Uh, I, I still do think this is a little bit of a shot at Pete Carroll. Uh, but from what I've heard, apparently, you know, from what, uh, from what Adam Schefter says, the candidates for the offensive coordinator job in, in Seattle, um, one of them is the Buffalo Bills quarterback coach, Ken Dorsey. And another is the Rams pass game coordinator, Shane Waldron. So, you know, those would be pretty decent hires. I, I don't think they particularly move the needle too much. Uh, but, you know, it, this it's going to start with Pete Carroll having to change his philosophy a little bit. I mean, I know they're a good running team, but you've got to, you know, let Russ throw it and make some schemes to get guys open for him and stuff like that. Uh, you, can't kind of, you can't let your wide receivers' talents go to waste. Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, I, you know, I, I understand why DK is a little bit upset. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the same time, you understand where Pete Carroll is coming from. Mm -hmm. There's when this team won Super Bowls and were competing in Super Bowls, they were a run first team with Marshawn Lynch. So it makes sense that he does want to revert back to that kind of offense. But my thing is, 
you know, he shouldn't get too reliant on that. And he shouldn't be uh, blinded by nostalgia of what happened then. You know, he should adapt to what they need to do now. And now, you know, back then his best receiver was Doug Baldwin, but now he has a great receiver in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. So he's got to learn to utilize both their talents to the fullest. Yeah, totally agreed there. Uh, let's jump to some coaching hires and a couple GM hires. Uh, I don't know how to say this guy's name particularly, but the Jags uh, kept Trent, I think it's Balky, Balk, as their permanent GM. He was their interim GM for the season, and this uh, this is a good move. I, you know, he was the one who found James Robinson, slapped him on the roster, obviously. Um, you know, I, I think he's done some good things. He's gotten picks out of players that are, you know, they were kind of older, but they were still uh, like pretty elite defensively. He got picks out of them that are going to translate very well into their rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I just think he's done a good job. I think it's a good hire. Uh, the Washington football team hired Martin Mayhew. Uh, why don't you, why don't you t- you're the football team fan here. Why don't you go ahead and tell me what you think about this? I mean, I didn't know that uh, he was a former uh, Washington player at one point. So it's really interesting to see the whole circle go around. But, uh, you know, for me, I think this is a good move. Uh, I was concerned at first when they got the Panthers former GM because I thought he was going to be the original GM but then they moved him to a different position I feel like they dodged a major bullet by doing that um you know I think maybe is I think he can push us in the right direction now I'm a bit upset that they didn't uh, that they're considering letting go of Kyle Smith who was a part of a lot of good drafting classes they had these past few years I would really would have liked to have him moved up to GM but you know, sometimes it's best to clear out everything, you know, that happened before because Kyle Smith was a part of that uh, Bruce Allen regime and he was one of the last people left from it. So it makes sense that they're moving on, but, you know, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm okay with this hire. I I think it's a, it's a good hire for most part. Yeah. That, uh, that former Panthers GM, I believe he got fired like twice in his position. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just for you guys' sake, I'm really happy he's not the actual GM, but it was a, it was a nice scare while it happened. Uh, we also had a few uh, head coaching hires. Uh, we had Nick Sirianni to the Eagles, which I think is a very, is a very underrated pickup for the Eagles. Uh, we have Arthur Smith to the Falcons, who he's solid. He's solid. I don't have much bad to say about him, but, you know, I, you know, it's kind of hard to feel like the Falcons couldn't have done better here. The Falcons were one of the first people to assign a coach, and it was Arthur Smith. Uh, well, my thing is Arthur Smith did push the Titans offense, um, you know, in a direction that they haven't seen yeah. in many, many years. Yeah, um, so, little, you know. It became a little stale, though, you know, towards the end. Well, toward the end, yeah, because yeah. I don't figure out Derrick Henry is the guy, and, you know, it's just play action, play action. Yeah, and then uh, Brandon Staley went to the Chargers. I really like this. This kind of reminds me of a Robert Sala. He kind of reminds me of Robert Sala, like junior, if anything. Uh, he's really he's a good defensive minded coach. Uh, he was a former defensive coordinator. Uh, and then I want we talked about him a little bit last time, but Dan Campbell. I want to bring him up one more time because just because his press conference was incredible. <laughs> Yeah, his press conference was uh, absolutely amazing. Amazing talking about biting people's kneecaps and you know, doing what he can to help the city. 
I did not know that Dan Campbell actually did play for the Lions at one point. So it was really interesting seeing also another full circle uh, go around with all these head coaching hires. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the Dan Campbell train. I really like this hire now just because of the just because the man he is. <laughs> is that press conference won me over. If you haven't seen that press conference, please go look it up. Uh, you owe it to yourself. Uh yeah, why don't you go ahead and we also had some offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators hired. So I believe you have the list of that, right? Yeah. So um, Daryl Bevel, um, he was the Lions interim coach. He's now the, the new offensive coordinator of the Jaguars. Um, Dave Ragone, he was the Bears passing passing game coordinator. Now he's the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons. Marcus Brady got promoted from uh, – the QB coach of the Colts to offensive coordinator, Anthony Lynn, you know, the former head coach of the Chargers. Now he's the Lions offensive coordinator, which is an interesting moves. I'd like to see where that's going to go from there. Um, Matt Canada got promoted from the Steelers quarterback coach to offensive coordinator, I think just today or so, um, or I think it was yesterday, but it was very recent as well. And Joe Lombardi, the New Orleans Saints quarterback coach, got um, signed as a offense coordinator over at the L.A. Chargers. And I guess I should get into defensive coordinator hirings. Um, then Quinn, the former head coach of the Falcons, is now the Dallas Cowboys defensive coordinator. Aaron Glenn, the second uh, Saints secondary coach, is now the Detroit Lions uh, defensive coordinator. Gus Bradley. Uh, he was a former Chargers defensive coordinator. Now he is the defensive coordinator for the Las Vegas Ra Raiders. Joe K Colin, Kulin. I'm sorry if I said his name incorrectly. He's a Ravens defensive coordinator. Um, and now he is the Jaguars defense coordinator. Raheem Morris, the Falcons interim coach. Now he's with the LA Rams as, they, as their defensive coordinator. Dan Pease, he was a former uh, defense coordinator for the Titans, New England Patriots, and the Baltimore Ravens. Now he is the Falcons defensive coordinator. Uh, Anthony uh, Weber, or Weaver, excuse me, Texans defense coordinator. Now he's the Baltimore Ravens defense coordinator. I don't know how you feel about that because uh, Texans haven't had the best defense in the past couple of years. So uh, how do you feel about that? I mean, he he's not the he's not you know fully in charge of everything. We still got we still have Martindale in there, but you know, it's not something that moves the needle for me. Uh, it was an okay hire. Uh, I mean, I have nothing much to really say besides that it was just okay. Yeah, I see where you're coming from there. And the last one I've uh, have noted here is Ronaldo Hill. He was the defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos, and now he is the LA Chargers' new defensive coordinator. Yeah, so a lot, a lot of moves. Uh, a couple of names stuck out to me there. Uh, Dan Quinn as the Cowboys' defensive coordinator is just, it's almost comical to me. I mean, Dan Quinn is known for blowing so many leads. You know, it's, why are you putting him as your defensive coordinator? It's, it's just kind of funny to me. I, I know he is a... He's supposed to be a defensive-minded head coach, but you know clearly in Atlanta that was not the case, um, at least for his stint there. Uh, and another name stuck out to me that uh, was Raheem Raheem Morris, was it, or was it uh, the, the Falcons interim? 
becoming the defensive coordinator uh, of the what team to become the defensive coordinator of again? Of the Chargers. Chargers. I think that's a great move. Uh, you know, immediately when he stepped in, that defense started playing immediately just better. Uh, the the difference was pretty night and day if you watch them. Uh, just watch when Dan Quinn was there and then watch after he got fired and Raheem Moore stepped in. Something, you know, he just got the best out of that defense that he could. And I think that's going to be a very, very underrated pickup for the Chargers. Uh, and I think the Falcons uh, messed up by letting him go, in my opinion. Yeah, they should have tried to keep him there some way. I mean, even potentially even considered keeping him as the head coach because the team, the team did improve uh, immensely after Dan Quinn was fired. But I do want to give some credit where credit is due for Dan Quinn. He was a good defensive coordinator when he was um, with yeah. Seattle, and that's what even got him the job at uh, with the Falcons. But obviously, since then, he has fell, uh, fell off a bit. Um, maybe he'll, you know, reclaim his glory with the Cowboys, but you know, I don't see that happening. Uh, as long as Mike McCarthy's a head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, I don't see the Cowboys really doing too much in the next few years. Um, but that's just me. I, I don't know where that team or what direction they're going in this offseason. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, that's going to be very interesting to track over the offseason. Uh, let's let's move on from the all the coaching hires and stuff. Uh, I, I do want to say, I did, forgot to say where Nick Sirianni was from. Nick Sirianni uh, used to be the Colts offensive coordinator. And, I mean, come on, he really helped get the best out of old man Rivers in, in uh, Indianapolis. So yeah, that's why I was saying it was such an underrated pickup for the Eagles because uh, he might be able to bring it out of Carson Wentz if they decided to keep him. He might be able to bring it out of him again. Uh Let's move on to some trade news. Uh, Matthew Stafford is officially being shopped. He's officially requested a trade and the team obliged and they're searching for a, a place to send him. We talked a little bit about, you know, on our very, I think it was our very first podcast. We kind of talked about where he could go or, and where Carson Wentz could go. Uh, when do you think this is going to happen and where do you think he's actually going to end up? Uh, first and foremost, I want to say that Matthew Stafford had a great career and statistically had a great career in uh, Detroit, but Detroit really, you know, dropped the ball when it came to building around Matthew Stafford and, you know, helping that, helping him uh, elevate that franchise. Um, the front office really let him down. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know until recently that Matthew Stafford, it was, um, I think he, I think he has, he, I think it was, he was the one, of the, I think he was the fastest to pass for 5,000 yards, 10,000 yards, 20,000 yards, 30,000 yards, and I think 40,000 yards. I think he did it in the fewest amount of games. So, uh, you know, the dude has talent. He's only 32, I think, at the moment. Um, you know, he's still got a lot left in the tank. I do have to worry about some of his injuries as, uh, in the recent years because he seems like he always gets hurt every season. But managed just to play through injury regardless because he's just a warrior as he is. Um, but the teams I – um, team one of the teams I can see him going to is uh, Washington, um, the GM who drafted uh, Matthew Stafford in Detroit, Matthew Mayu. Um, he's now in position. He's the GM now, obviously, of the Washington football team. I think that can kind of push the needle to sending him over there. And you know that team is in need of a quarterback. Um, I think that the Lions are looking for a first rounder. I don't know if Washington would be willing to give up a first rounder, especially you know. Um, the team still could use those first rounders to continue the build up 
So uh, it's something to, to at least monitor. Um, you know, Stafford's kind of in a position in his career where he wants to win now or at least be in a uh, on a contending team. Um, so, you know, Washington is one option. Um, another option I could see him possibly going is the Patriots. The team is in desperate need of a quarterback. I'm sorry, all you New England fans, but Jared Stidham is not the guy. Uh, I'm just going to say that right now. Cam's probably not going to be there next year because he had a pretty fairly mediocre season. Um, you know, the team has money to be able to put weapons around Stafford. The team has picks to put uh, weapons around Stafford. You know, even a, their down year, they were seven to nine this year. Um, you know, with all the people coming back on the defensive side and other all the other people who opted out on the team, hopefully are going to be back next season. So I think it could be a ideal spot for Stafford to win just right away. Um, I have two other teams that I was thinking possibly that Stafford could potentially get moved up, to, moved, uh, moved let to me, uh, the Colts. Me, yeah, let me jump in here. I, I was going to say, uh-huh. yeah, I was going to say, uh, I know you're going to talk about the Colts. Uh, and I, yeah. I'm thinking <laughs> the last team is probably the Niners. No, it yeah. actually is not. It's not. Okay, well, uh, let me talk about the, the Niners real quick. So uh, there's been a lot of rumors about, you know, are they going to trade Jimmy G for Stafford? Uh, and, you know, I could see it. Uh, I, I, it's, it's a real possibility in my opinion. But at the same time, like, are the, are the Niners, you know, front office, are they ready to move on from Jimmy G right now? I'm not sure. Uh, I think they might give him another year because they did make the Super Bowl with him. And then, you know, everything went to like, everything just got destroyed by injuries. Their team got destroyed by injuries. So, you know, in my opinion, I think they're kind of justifying, like, you know, if we weren't injured this year, we would have been in the hunt and we probably could have made it again. So maybe I, I, I do think they're going to give Jimmy G, Jimmy G another chance. I don't really think Stafford's going to end up there. He's going to have to learn obviously a whole new system and all that. So I'm not sure if they want to get into that in a year where they are supposed to be competing. Uh, and you also mentioned, I, I like when you mentioned the football team, uh, I didn't recognize that connection between Martin Mayhew and Matthew Stafford. Uh, you know, the football team, they could go after just about any quarterback, like their biggest weakness is quarterback, whoever they go after, you know, they're, they're probably going to be good as long as they get someone that's above average. Uh, and a lot of people have been saying, you know, keep Heineke and start him. I, I don't think Heineke's a starting quarterback in the NFL, but I do think he's a very solid backup. So, you know, if anything, they should keep him, but not as anything more than a, a second stringer. Uh, and yeah, you, Heineke. Yeah. Sorry. Ahead. Heineke kind of came in there and was kind of like situationally, he was a good quarterback, but I don't know in a 16 game season how well he'll play. I, I'm too afraid to make that commitment. I hope that Washington doesn't make that commitment. Um, I like the way he played in the last, you know, in the two games he did play this season, but to put him as starting quarterback for a whole another season, I, I don't see that happening. I'm sorry. You were saying. Um, actually, I was going to, I was going to throw it back to you. Uh, why don't you go ahead and talk about the Colts and your last team? All right. So the Colts for me, uh, that team, in my opinion, is a quarterback away from being a contender. The defense was phenomenal. The offense has pieces. T.Y. Hilton's still good. Michael Pittman Jr. still good. Uh, I didn't realize that Jonathan Taylor was going to step up and be the guy uh, as a rookie to do that uh, in the backfield. Um, you know, Rivers was fine for the team, but he did cost that uh, team some games, truthfully. And I just don't think he had the ability that he once had to really push that team to where they want to be. Um, 
you know, though Stafford is slightly injury prone, like I mentioned earlier, he's much more efficient and can make bigger plays as we've seen that he has, you know, some of the most fourth quarter comeback uh, wins as a quarterback, um, you know, you know, I, I really like the fit of Stafford with the Colts, um, but I feel like this team could also, you know, you know, I feel like they would benefit a lot more if they did get uh, a Wentz-like player or a Deshaun Watson-like player. But Stafford, you know, he still is a good option for the Colts. I'm not saying it's their number one option, but if I were Stafford, I would like, hey, I'll be eyeing that team. Like that team is a team that, you know, I possibly want to go to and try to and help also, this team contend. And also uh, the Colts are probably going to lose out on the Deshaun Watson situation. So, you know, the Texans aren't probably not going to trade Deshaun Watson to an in-division rival. So Stafford could be a nice, you know, plan B. Uh, well, he, he'd be a plan A, I guess, because I guarantee they're not going to get Deshaun Watson. But, you know, he could be a nice solution to not being able to acquire Deshaun Watson. And I, I really do think, you know, that whatever teams do, like, miss out on Deshaun Watson are just going to immediately just try and go for Stafford. They might even overpay to get him on their team. That, that's what I think. Mm-hmm. And the last team is a bit surprising. Um but I said the Saints. Now, ideally, their you know their cap space isn't the where they want to be to move a player like his stature. Um, but you know, if they were, were were to trade for him, they would have to trade probably another player, uh, like a a pick, and then another player with him to get Stafford. But um, I feel like there's this team's quarterback room is kind of weak at the moment, you know, with Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill as their two potentially starting quarterbacks. Uh, I feel like, you know, still with Stafford, I feel like his his play would be fit with a glove. Like he's a seasoned veteran who can throw it down the field and air it out if they need to. Um, the team lacks, you know, a deep ball. You know, this team still has good receivers. Um, you know, the team, you know, they really, if they still want to be in the contention, I don't, you know, think that having Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill play a whole season would be, you know, the most ideal thing for the Saints. Um, so I feel like, you know, if the Saints really still want to, like, hey, we still think we can contend and we can possibly make the Super Bowl maybe next year or something like that, I think Stafford's someone to at least I. Now, you know, I don't know who they were willing to trade. I know they said that uh, Marshawn Lattimore is a player they're considering to um, put on the tr- on the trade block this upcoming off season. So, you know, maybe, you know, you know, the Lions can always use secondary players. So maybe they can consider putting him and package him with a, you know, a draft pick to send him over to Detroit. But I don't know how their contracts line up off the top of my head. But, um, you know, it is something to at least consider. I think that him going to the Saints is somewhere like, if he really wants to still contend like he wants to, or wants to contend like he wants to, um, I think the Saints will be a good place for him. Yeah, I never really considered the Saints, but you're right on that. They could use a quarterback. Um, you know, they they are kind of in com- co- like com- compete right now mode. They have uh, players and pieces built around competing right now. So you know, unless they th- unless they really believe in Jameis Winston, uh, you know, it, you're right. It's possible he he, uh, he could go to the Saints or just about any quarterback in general that's being talked about in trades this offseason could end up on the saints as well. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure if they're going to trade if I'm not sure if they would trade Lattimore. I'm not sure if, you know, no, no offense to Matthew Stafford, but I'm not sure if even I would trade Marshawn Lattimore for Stafford, 
I just think it's so hard to find a good cornerback like that, uh, that you kind of need to stick, stick, like keep him around. Uh, but yeah, you're totally right on, you know, the saints do have a chance to trade for him. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very underrated place. And I've really considered the saints, uh, being, you know, being contenders for that, but you're right. Uh, let's jump to some, some strange rumblings in the Rams organization. So, Apparently, McVeigh and Jared Goff are just not on the same page. There's some tension there. Uh, and Jared Goff could even end up being shopped straight up. Uh, this is kind of the, the teams we talked about for the Stafford situation kind of apply here as well. Uh, what team do you think would really jump and take the shot at Goff, though? Goff is very, he's very, like, vastly overpaid. I'm not sure if, you know, any team would really take the leap on him especially considering the season that this the couple seasons he's had uh in these past couple years um i honestly off the top of my head i couldn't tell you a team that would be interested he's been beyond mediocre um my thing is like i felt like the rams had opportunities to be a contender for for many years but i think this play of golf has always kind of held back the team you know they always had the receiving core that a very ideal receiving core. I mean, they and there was one point where they had Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Brandon Cooks, all in the same you know team. And you know, obviously, Brandon Cooks, as much as people like to give him flack, he's still a solid receiver in the NFL. I just felt like golf always find, found some way to underachieve uh, when they needed him most. For me, I never really thought he had heart uh, until this past uh, this past postseason where he came back with the thumb injury. I think that was the most heart he's shown in his whole career. I mean, even when the Super Bowl, he was he was so emotionless and so heartless. And I just felt like if he had a little bit more heart and had a little more like urgency, maybe they would have, I mean, they definitely could have won that game. Um, but the thing like shipping him somewhere, I mean, he's such a uh, mediocre quarterbacks. They get moved around a lot. Um, I can't really think of a, like a place that would really need him um, like like I said, he hasn't really proven much to even get the contract that he has. I think it's like a hundred thirty four million dollar contract. Uh, honestly, I see him. They can't cut him. Shipping him away. I don't know what what, what team do you have in mind? Because I can't honestly. I really couldn't think of a team at the moment because he's so. Eh. The only team I could see maybe convincing themselves to just take him on is maybe the Texans. You know, if they do decide to trade Deshaun Watson to the Rams, which I also don't really see happening, but if that does happen, if there's a Deshaun Watson for uh, Jared Goff swap, you know, maybe the Rams have to include somebody big as well. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, you're right. I don't see anybody really taking a chance on him uh, at this stage in his career. Uh, yeah, I mean, McVeigh, you know, he he's just got to get on the same page as golf, I guess. I mean, I don't, <laughs> you, you, they're kind of stuck with him. Like, they can't really do anything with him right now uh, until his contract is up or until he's in the last year so that, you know, it's an expiring deal. Yeah, uh, would you do, would you consider trading uh, Jarrett Goff or Carson Wentz? two bad contracts coming off mediocre seasons, you know, Carson Wentz, I think he still wants out potentially. Um, you know, I don't know how, you know, 
how that dynamic's really going in the front office. I mean, Carson Wentz, we've seen him play well. Um, Jared Goff, I don't know how well he would play in that system um, and the Eagles, but like, would you consider it as a, you know, would that something be something to consider at least? Honestly, if I'm the Eagles, I what's what's the length on both of their deals? I know Carson Wentz goes to 2023. Uh, when is I think Goss goes to I want to say it's 2024, but honestly, if I'm the Eagles, I would take whoever has the shorter contract. So, or if yeah, they it goes are to 2024, it goes to 2020. Uh, it's yeah. a it contract ends 20 to uh to 2025 oh my god okay so, yeah i i would not <laughs> if i was the eagles i definitely would not do that the rams are i feel bad because they have so many good pieces you're right uh they have cooper cup they have uh brandon cooks they have aaron donald obviously on defense yeah. uh they're they're a team that's kind of built to compete but they don't have the right guy at quarterback they overpaid for the wrong guy um it just sucks man i, I feel bad for the rams fans out there uh, but yeah, I mean, you guys are probably gonna be stuck with Jared Goff for a little, for a little, a little longer. <laughs> so yeah, don't get Maybe you a little too long. Cause I don't, I don't see them. I don't know how they'll do next year. I don't see this yeah. team, um, you know, with the 49ers possibly coming back after all the injuries, um, if they get back to their, you know, original form and then the Cardinals, they're always up and down. So, you know, they might be good for a little bit. They might not be good for a bit. Yeah, um, they're, they're in the stacked division in general. Their division's absolutely yeah. it's loaded. Like, yeah, I feel like this year had their defense was unbelievable. I just felt like they were just a quarterback away from potentially making a legitimate kind of run. Um, I don't know what they're gonna do with golf. Um, I don't even know where the frustration between the two uh, golf and McVay came from, but, you know, it makes sense. You know, that team, like we keep saying, the team is, is really talented. You know, they have such an ideal receiving core. They have, uh, they have a good running back in Cam Akers, which no one, not many people saw coming into the season. Um, their offensive line is still solid. I just feel like they're really just the quarterback away. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, let's jump to, some Aaron Rodgers news. Uh, you have the full quote. Why don't you? Why, why don't we kick it off with that? Go ahead. I have an excerpt of the quote, but this is the one that kind of stormed up, uh, you know, all over social media and got people really concerned. Um, after the press, obviously after the game and the press conference, uh, they after the loss, you know, he said that a lot of guys, futures, they're uncertain, mine included. That, you know. That's just such a short excerpt. It, it had, holds a lot of power and a lot got a lot of people nervous. Um, you know, for you, do you think this is the end of Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay? No, uh, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think Aaron Rodgers is a little frustrated, if anything, but I don't think he's going to quit on the team that he's stuck with for his entire career. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, you know. He, he obviously needs more help and he's, he's needed more help for almost all of his, almost all of his career, you know, but they haven't given it to him. I think it's, she's just kind of showing frustration to the front office and putting a little bit of pressure on them with that statement. Um, you know, 
let's just hope the Packers don't go out and draft a running back with their first pick or a quarterback with their second or something like that again. Uh, yeah, I, I think they, I think they're going to stick together uh, whether it's to the good or the bad, you know, I think Rogers is a, he's a cheese head forever. So. Yeah. I, for me, I think he's going to stay there, but I just want to like go over some things and all this hype kind of all led up to this frustration. I mean, we really think about it this year, they were really, they just needed a couple more receivers. They could have drafted, you know, a cornerback. I mean, they could have had um, Tavon Diggs in the second round, but they drafted AJ Dillon in the second round. Um, no, excuse me. They drafted Jordan Love in the first round, which that stopped them from potentially drafting a corner or anything like that. Um, they, they drafting also, a quarter, corner. I believe they also skipped over Justin Jefferson as well. Um, I think they no, they were in the ending half because they tried. Oh no, you're right, you're right, you're right. My bad. My, bad. Uh, my thing is like they drafted a quarterback and a running back in the first two rounds when the team needed another corner, as we saw Kevin King play this past game, and they definitely needed another receiver on the other side of, you know, um, Adams, Devontae Adams. Um, you know, this team could have had a legitimate championship run this year. But I still like the front office blatantly ignored the obvious and disrespected Rogers all in one notion. Um, they kind of felt like they're, it kind of seemed like they were ready to move on by drafting a quarterback in the manner they did. Because when your team just comes off of a, a NFC championship loss to the 49ers, you're like, man, you know, what can we do to improve this team, to push this team forward, to make this team better, to push this team to a potential Super Bowl run? is not drafting a quarterback. You have a quarterback that's so talented, arguably the best, one of the best quarterbacks. I'm not gonna say he's the greatest of all time, but he's one of, he's up there. He's definitely up there. If anything, I think he might be number two. That's a hot, that's not even a hot take. I think that's just that's a truthfully hot take. at this point. That's I truthfully at this point. In my I think he's the, I think, I think he's the most talented quarterback of all time in terms of just straight up talent, but putting yes, him number two in the GOAT, Putting a number two in the go conversation, it's a hot take. It's a hot take. I, I think that Aaron Rodgers has shown time and time again that he could consistently be that guy for the team. He's been that guy for the team. Um, I did not know until uh, recently they said that the pass to Tavon Austin was the first pass he's made to a first-round receiver in his whole career. Yeah. The team has not built around him in the way to win championships. The fact that this dude is one in four in the NFC championship game is mind-boggling. Like this dude deserves to have, have deserves a strong word. This dude should have been in much more championship games if this team, if this front office paid attention to what was necessary. This team paid attention to how do we elevate the players around our quarterback and continuously keep this, you know, group, you know, going and going. They failed to do that multiple times, you know, even though he's going to have an MVP season, um, he's going to end it off with no ring once again. Um, I feel like his whole career, if the front office has let him down. Um, he'll stay in Green Bay. And, you know, obviously today the CEO of the Packers, Mark Murphy, said, we're not idiots. He's our leader. So obviously he's not going anywhere. But I just felt like this front office has let him down i don't know what they can do in the offseason to you know better the packers but 
at least try to consider getting another receiver, at least try to consider getting more pieces on the defense, at least consider trying to make more moves to help this team go to the championship. Because when you look at the Buccaneers and you look at the Packers, which we will get to next, when you get look at both of those teams, the Buccaneers did more to win now. They brought in Brady. They brought in Gronk. They brought in Antonio Brown. They brought in pieces to win now. While the Packers, who, in my opinion, were the best team in the NFC, um, they didn't do that. They didn't bring more pieces to win. They just kind of like, okay, we have what we have. Aaron Rodgers lead us to the promised land. And that's the thing. Well, Aaron Rodgers... He plays well most most games. He plays well. But they need him to – they rely on him so much that for them to win the big games, he needs to play out of his mind, which he does a lot of times. But they can't keep relying on him to keep doing that. He's only going to get older and older, and they can't just keep relying on him to be that guy every single week in, week out. I think it's frustrating watching this team, you know, I feel for Packers fans, um, they should have won that game. There's a lot of things I do want to talk about that game and why they should have won. But, you know, the Packers let down Aaron Rodgers. He'll stay, but my ending note is they let that man down. Yeah, you know what? Aaron Rodgers, you know, I I can't disagree with anything you've said. Everything you just you just said is facts. Um, I... I just feel bad for Aaron Rodgers, man. Like you, 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 that, that, like that stat about, you know, him throwing to that one guy, you know, was a first, first round. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. When you have that good of a quarterback, how do you not help him out on the offensive end? I don't understand. The Packers do have, I think they do have about $20 million in cap space right now. You know, if they, if they really want to help this team go out and grab an like offensive lineman, spend that money on, on, on the offensive line, build it out, you know, uh, draft some secondary players, uh, maybe even draft a wide receiver as well. But, you know, I, I didn't disagree with them. I didn't disagree with them taking A.J. Dillon in the second round if they had drafted somebody else in the first. Uh, the fact that they drafted QB, RB back-to-back was just ridiculous. Uh, I know Aaron Jones is asking for a lot of money, uh, and they're probably not going to pay him, so A.J. Dillon's going to have to step up uh, in coming years. So I don't hate that they picked up A.J. Dillon. I, I just don't like that they combined that with the Jordan Love pick. That was just such a – I don't know. Like, how how inept is their front office to <laughs> to do this? Like, did they really just did, – did they really believe that Rodgers was going to fall off that season or, like, that this soon? You know, I – Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it feels like they never, they never really had faith in him. That's just my – that's kind of what I'm sensing is they never really had faith in him. Like maybe the Patriots had in Tom Brady or the Lions had in Matt Stafford, even though the – obviously, even though they didn't put anything around him either. Mm-hmm. My thing is, like, it's crazy thing because um, Chase Claypool went in the second round. They could have drafted him in the first round with that Jordan Love pick. Yeah. That would have been crazy. Th- imagine him on the other side of Devontae yeah. Adams. Like that would have been – that's yeah. what the team needed. It's like in the most stacked wide receiver class we've ever seen. How do you not, how do you take a QB and a running back in the first two rounds? Like in the most stacked, but potentially star studded wide receiver class ever in the NFL. Why do you go to positions you don't really need right now? I, it's just, it's mind boggling. Genuinely. 
I couldn't understand it either. Uh, while we're on this topic, let's just jump right into the <laughs> Bucks and Packers game. So we're going over the NFC Championship. Uh, the Bucks beat the Packers thirty-one to twenty-six. Uh, I know you're probably you probably got some really hard feelings about this, so I, I, I'm gonna go first, and then I'll let you I'll let you go on whatever rant you're gonna go on. Um, you know, I just want to start by saying I'm much more disappointed in the Packers' offense than I am in their defense. I thought their defense, you know, even though they did give up 31, it was a tough 31, and they had a lot of three and outs, and they had a lot of stops in crucial moments, you know. They, they had three picks on Tom Brady. They gave him a serious chance to win, and the offense just couldn't finish it off. Uh, the offense, you know, they had multiple drives that either was were three and out or ended way too early or just went nowhere while they were in the red zone. Uh, and speaking of red zone, uh, Aaron Rodgers had a wide-open rushing touchdown that he'd flung to Devontae Adams in double coverage, which it, it made me, you know, as a Ravens fan, obviously <laughs> – it made me go like, why didn't you run it there? Why didn't you just run it in? It was like, it was a wide open walk into the end zone. He could have straight up ran and dove and pulled a Heineke or pulled a Lamar Jackson, just got in there. I think that was a big, you know, I think once that red zone attempt failed, I think that was a massive shift in, a, in the momentum of the game, uh, especially late. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, just his decision-making was, it was surprisingly questionable. Uh, there were a lot of open dudes that just didn't get the ball because he didn't have time to re- to go through all his reads. His offensive line just straight crumbled and collapsed around him every time, almost every time he snapped the ball. He didn't have time to work through his reads and see that you know maybe Lazard was actually open on a slant or somebody else was open going all the way downfield. He didn't have the time, so I, I don't want to fully blame him for that. But even still, you know, that, like his decision making and that very last red zone attempt, like I said where he just threw it instead of running. That was, you know, that, that could have, that basically kind of cost him the game. Uh, and Rogers line, his offensive line really did disappoint him. Uh, you know, please Packers front office, get some linemen in the free agency, please. Or even draft somebody, just something like help the line. They need help. Uh, I also want to talk about the refs, you know, it, they were really inconsistent. They were really inconsistent. It was actually frustrating at times, just watching, you know, how they would call this for one team, but they would completely ignore it for another. They ignored a lot of holding early on. They ignored a lot of holding and then called that one right towards the end that basically screwed the Packers over. Um, it was basically the nail in the coffin for the game. Uh, you know, the refs, it's sad to see that the refs were this inconsistent in the NFC championship. Uh, I kind of expected better from them, but, you know, I do want to give praise to the Bucks. The Bucks' pass rush was so impressive. I mean, even without Antoine Winnefield Jr., uh, you know, they still got, they still got the job done. Jason Pierre-Paul and Shaq Barrett, you know, they had five sacks combined. They went crazy. Devin White, obviously, you know, he did great as well, just in terms of impacting the game. Uh, but, you know, I, I do want to give it up to Brady. Uh, he really changed that locker room. He gave them hope, which is is priceless in, in the NFL. Uh, and he had a fantastic quote, I believe. Uh, actually comes from Devin White. Devin White said that, uh, he said, quote, I was kind of upset I didn't make the Pro Bowl. And Tom Brady's like, D, there's a bigger bowl we're chasing. We're all chasing it. Come on. 
I mean, that's just, you can't beat that kind of veteran presence and leadership in the locker room. That's just, you know, Brady's a fantastic leader, but I'm not sold on him. I'm still not sold on Brady and Bruce Arians fitting together. I know they just made the Super Bowl, and this sounds ridiculous to say, but let's be real. The NFC in general was very, very weak. There was nobody who you would point to and be like, they're going to make the Super Bowl for sure. Like, there was nobody out there. Like, there was nobody like the Chiefs uh, on the Chiefs level in the NFC. Honestly, like, there might not have even really been any teams that were on the Bills level in the NFC, you know? The the NFC was kind of a cakewalk this year, and Tom Brady had three really bad picks. I, I, you know, one of them he straight up threw short, and it just, you know, it wasn't good. Uh, Two of them were due to some miscommunication with him and um, some of his receivers. There's still, you know, something's still going on with the system where it's not completely clicking for everybody involved. Uh, that's a that's a Bruce Arians issue as well but you know we'll get into this in the Super Bowl preview but I'm not sure Brady is going to you know I, I don't think the Chiefs will get those picks and not make use of them you know if the if the Chiefs had gotten three picks against uh, the Bucks team you know I, I'm sorry I think it's a blowout <laughs> like you you kind of have to play perfectly against the Chiefs, and I'm not expecting that. But we'll get into that in the Super Bowl preview. Uh, so why don't you go ahead and – that was everything I had to say. So why don't you go ahead and go all out for us. Go ahead. I, I'm not going to get too crazy, but I do want to talk about um, – before I get into what I have written down, I do want to kind of go over some of the inconsistencies of, of the penalty calling. Um, it was really – it was kind of blaringly awful, um, to say the least. I was shocked, um, confused, befuddled. I, there's a lot of words that just kind of go over how confusing the calling was. Um, earlier in the game, when Aaron Rodgers threw his first pick, uh, when Aaron Rodgers threw his pick, excuse me, um, Sean Bruntley was pretty much holding Lazar the whole time and jumped on it and got the interception I was kind of like okay they're not gonna call holding he literally had a shoulder pad and everything was like exposed like it it was I was surprised they didn't call that one because you know they said oh we're gonna let him let him play let him play letting them play is not always the best way to go about it um when things are really bad like that you kind of just have to call it you know call it as is um I the defensive uh pass interference at the end of the game was uh, shocking to say the least. Um, that was arguably, due to the nature of the game, arguably one of the worst calls because the fact it didn't call other make other calls. Um, the thing I actually I went back and watched the play again, and um, they missed a they missed a holding call on the Buccaneers. Tristan Wirfs was holding Rashawn Gary actually. Um, he had him up by the neck and pretty much he kept him away from Brady until pretty much the play was over and he, he pushed Brady over, you know, slight something like that. Um, that was a very missed, a very obvious call missed in any other game that we call that. When you have a lineman like this, like holding up to the neck where they can't even get to the quarterback, that's, that's holding. They'll call it every other game. They'll call it any game. But to not call it and, you know, and then it kind of like, oh, we're going to call the defensive pass interference, but not call the holding. It should have been offsetting penalties. That should have been it. And then they should have, you know, 
repeated their down over again. But the fact that they didn't call that, that to me was kind of like, I felt like I don't want to, I'm, I'm never, I'm not one of the guys always likes to call things rigged or things like that. I'm not going to call it rigged. I just think that's a despicable call from the officials. Um, you know, I'm not here to talk about the legitimacy of games. That's not my job. You can, if you want to watch conspiracy theories, you can go ahead and do that stuff. That's not me. I just felt like that was a really bad call, a very blatantly missed call. And, you know, I was disappointed because I felt like that really affected the results of the game. But <laughs> I do want to talk about other things I have written down, but Let me... I see you want to interject. So, yeah, yeah. So I just want to say, you know, it's games like this that make people think that there is a conspiracy like that games are rigged uh i don't believe the games are really rigged but you know you know it, it you can't help but ent- entertain the thought that you know the refs had some money on this game in vegas or something right it's just it, it was actually it was legitimately just so it was just so bad like i yeah go ahead why don't you continue on everything else you were going to say um so what i was really going to say how i was really going to initially start off before talking about the penalties and all that. I want to say that I, like I said, I'm shocked by this game result, but not surprised, unfortunately. In the past couple of years, the Packers have made a horrible habit of choking in the spotlight, this game in particular. Um, the Packers have now lost their last four NFC Championship games. Um, there's an interesting test stat that comes with that, though. Um, however, the past three teams, the past three teams that beat the Packers in the NFC uh, Championship game, they went on to the Super Bowl, have not won the Super Bowl, that being the Seattle Seahawks 2014-2015 season, that being the Atlanta Falcons 2016-2017 season, and then the 49ers last season. Um, I'm not saying that the Buccaneers are going to win or lose. I'm just stating Look, some facts keep, right there. Keep that in mind for the Super Bowl thing. Just Yeah, that's just something I did notice uh, that when I was looking through a lot of the, when I was researching uh, for this um, podcast, um, you know, also I mentioned the, the turnovers that was, you know, I'm not, excuse me, I mentioned the bad penalties and the missed calls, but uh, also I just felt like, you know, I guess I give a lot of credit where credit is due. I feel like no one's giving a lot of credit to the Buccaneers defense. I know you were doing it uh, just a moment ago. I'm not gonna, you know, go over the stats again, but, you know, this past few weeks in the postseason, they've really stepped up. For me, they're the winning factor of this team. Um, you know, Brady did throw three touchdowns, which is, hey, that's cool. It's great. But he did throw three interceptions, which also I can want to get back on the Packers' head because they did a really poor job capitalizing on two of those interceptions as they were not able to score. And had I think they went three and out on both the, the second two uh the second and the third interception, they went three and out on. Um, so I felt like they had opportunity to win the game. So there is a lot on them as well. I'm not going to take too much. But that also goes to the Buccaneers defense for doing a good job to stop the Packers offense. Um, I think that there's a lot of costly turnovers for the Packers. Um, you know, the interception that Rodgers had led to that Scotty Miller, Miller uh, long bomb to put him up at half, 21 to 10. Um, the Aaron Jones fumble in the second half that uh, allowed them to go to 28 to 10. Um, you know, so those two costly mistakes, though it was less mistakes made on their side than the Buccaneers, it ended up causing them more. And I feel like, you know, that was another thing to also take into consideration 
of, you know, why the Packers offense did let down, you know, the Packers uh, as a whole. Um, number 20, Kevin King, God bless his soul. I feel like everyone's talked about it with every single platform possible, but he did absolutely horrible. And he his bad performance overshadowed how well Jair, Jair Alexander and all the other players did on that defense. That man, I felt like he was there on every single, you know, every single big play, he was somehow there and on the receiving end of it. Um, I, I feel bad for him. You know, I've never heard him before this game. Now I know him. I hope to forget him. I, I'm sorry, Kevin King. That was arguably one of the worst performances I've seen by a cornerback. Obviously, being a cornerback in NFL is probably one of the hardest jobs to do. Corners do get a lot of flack for a lot of misplays. So, you know, I got to give credit where credit is due. You know, it's a hard position. You know, I I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he he did not help that team. He hurt that team tremendously. Yeah. And you could I want to get to the oh, go ahead. Yeah, you could say uh, you, you could tell they were targeting him at a certain point too. Like yeah. Brady was just like he was waiting for the matchup to to get right, and then he would throw it in his direction. Uh, which, you know, that's what gets look. That's what good quarterbacks do. They they pick out you know whoever's having a bad game uh, in terms of like the, the opposing team's corners, and they just they they'll keep throwing it to him until they stop him. Uh, and yeah, it just sucks that he couldn't. Yeah, I mean when you. I think when before the halftime, I think the Buccaneers defense kind of assumed that the, I mean, excuse me, the Packers defense assumed that the Buccaneers were just going to go for maybe a field goal or something like that to end off the half. But I think Kevin King got sloppy in single coverage and just absolutely let Scotty Miller run right behind him, which I don't know how Scotty Miller is like one of the shorter dudes on the field. <laughs> I think that was a really bad uh, misstep and miscall miss call on uh kevin king's part um but i feel like it's time to talk about the big issue with the game and that was the packers final drive matt lafloy should have allowed aaron Rodgers to go to went for it for and fourth down yes <laughs> like that's uh, why everyone i've seen so many people say that aaron Rodgers choked the game and stuff like that he couldn't have choked the game because he wasn't there for the most pivotal part of the game. Now, if Aaron Rodgers was in the game, fourth and, fourth and nine, fourth and eight, whatever the situation was, and he missed a throw or he couldn't get a touchdown pretty much to, to pretty much bring him back into the game, then I can say, okay, Aaron Rodgers choked the game. But Matt LaFloy not having faith in arguably one of the best quarterbacks, it doesn't make sense. Matt LaFloy, you have that job because of Aaron Rodgers. He makes you look good. Before he came into um, the, before he became the head coach of the Packers, he was the 27th ranked offense of court, a 27th ranked, had a 27th ranked offense as the offensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans. That man had no right to be near a head coaching job prior to this, but he looks good because of Aaron Rodgers and the play Aaron Rodgers does. I think he should allow Aaron Rodgers to, you know, make that play. I mean, it's just a win. It's a you have to win the game. It's just a uh, you know, it's all or nothing kind of like play. The fact that you kick the field goal, it's shocking to me. How do you not have faith in one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? How do you not ha have faith in the MVP of of this season? How do you not have faith in Aaron Rodgers? I don't get it. 
Yeah, you know what? I I totally agree with you. I think I don't want to put the full blame on Matt Lafleur, Matt Lafleur, whatever. No, me I, either. I but you know this was obviously he's still new to head coaching to an extent. You know, last year was like his first year really as a head coach, and I that just you know that kind of happens. What what's baffling to me is that for why he didn't uh, just go for it on fourth was it's much harder in the final, let's say they got it back with like two minutes to go. It's much harder to score a touchdown with two minutes to go than it is to score a field goal. So if, you know, if they wanted, I believe they were down a touchdown and a field goal. Uh, if, I, I believe that's all they needed to go up on the box. So if you take that field goal early, that means you have to score a touchdown on the next drive. Otherwise it's over. Uh, you know, that's just not just logistically, it doesn't make sense to force your team to go from, you know, uh, going from making a field goal to making a touchdown in two minutes. Like that's, that's, it's hard enough to get into the end zone in the NFL as it is. It was hard enough for the offense to even get going as it was the fact that it was in the red zone right there. You should have taken advantage of that opportunity. Just given them one more shot. Uh, and you should trust the defense to maybe get a stop there while the bucks were, you know, they, I believe they're on like the, the 12 or 13 yard line or so, you know, let them, uh, let them try and beat you from that point on instead of giving them a whole, you know, kickoff where they start from the 20 or 25. Uh, it just logistically, it didn't make any sense. I do think he's going to learn from this. Obviously he's still learning as he's going, uh, but that you're right. Like that play, that just that entire final drive just sealed the deal for the, for the Packers. Do you believe that he should have not gone for two earlier in the game then? I mean, they they pretty much had the two point conversion, but you dropped it. But it, it I don't think it made a difference because uh, you know even if they had gotten it, uh, they still would have needed to score a touchdown to go above them. I believe so. You know, I don't think it would have really made a difference. Um, yeah, it, it's just. But you're right. You know, the, the decisions throughout were just not great from Matt Lafloy, and he just needs to he needs to get better. Sim- as simple as that. Or let Rogers audible a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, or... let Rogers be Rogers. My thing is, it's just like it's this is for the go to the Super Bowl. Why do you have more faith in your defense? In particular, Kevin King, who was the person they called the defensive PI on. Why, why do you have more confidence in your defense who's been struggling for a good bit of the game? I'd have more faith in my offense. Yes, the offense wasn't the greatest, but the offense has pieces like Devonta Adams. The offense has pieces like Aaron Jones. It has pieces like Aaron Rodgers. It has pieces to put you in a good position. Your defense had pieces that hurt your team and put your team in the position they were. I mean, yes, Jair Alexander made, you know, impressive plays, got an interception and all that. That's great. But on the other side of him was Kevin King, where all the bad things happened. I, I, I don't want to just keep putting it all on Kevin King. I'm sorry. But he was the targeted guy. He was the guy they went after. Like you said, great quarterbacks make that, that adjustment. And they, they, they see the weakest person take advantage of that. And they did. And they did. And honestly, credit to Brady. That was some good moves right there. Absolute goat moves. All right, let's uh, let's jump to the Bills versus the Chiefs. So, the Chiefs beat the Bills thirty-eight to twenty-four, uh, and 
man, this game was a lot more underwhelming than I thought it would be. Um, it's just, uh, look, first I want to congratulate Patrick Mahomes and Cole Beasley. So Patrick Mahomes got turf toe like six hours before the game. Uh, so his mobility in general was completely limited. Uh, and you can see that while they were playing, uh, he, just the way he was running just wasn't, it wasn't right. It wasn't how he usually runs. Um, and Cole Beasley was playing on a broken leg straight up. And he's been playing on a broken leg for the past like three weeks. So, you know, shout out to Cole Beasley as well. Uh, he put up a pretty decent performance on one leg. Uh, but I, Man, it's just the Chiefs' defense is just so underrated. Like I said, like I, I believe I said this a couple of podcasts ago, you know, if the Chiefs' defense tries, they're a top 10 defense, in my opinion. Uh, I also put here that, you know, Josh Allen is like a Lamar Jackson with weapons. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. Uh, their games, they kind of reminds me of each other a little bit. You know, obviously, Josh Allen is more accurate uh, and he has better weapons. Uh, but yeah, the Chiefs, honestly, the entire first quarter, they were just straight up asleep. Uh, their defense woke them up near the end of the first, though, with the, uh, they had a they had a pick that I believe got called back. But that moment kind of changed the momentum because before that, it was all just the Bills driving down the field, like pounding them down. Uh, but then the Chiefs kind of got that little glimmer of hope. It's like, all right, we can stop these guys like he's not unbeatable. Uh, and that's when the, the momentum kind of switched onto the Chiefs side, in my opinion. Uh, you know, when that first drive ended up being a field goal. Uh, and, you know, you know, also something that's really underrated is Andy Reid. I, he needs to be put in the same breath as Bill Belichick right now, in my opinion. That's a little bit of a hot take, but he, I think he deserves to be in that conversation of one of the best coaches in the entire league, but also possibly in, in, in league history. Uh, if they keep this up, you know, this this duo of Mahomes and Reed could end up being the next Brady Belichick, straight up. Uh, also, another credit to the Chiefs defense, I want to give a credit to Devin Singletary. Uh, he was the Chiefs' best defender last night. Uh, the Bills running back, Devin Singletary, uh, he just, man, he sold. He sold really hard. Uh, the Bills need a run game really bad. The Bills really need a run game. Because when they're up, they just keep throwing and the clock stops and doesn't keep going. And so they can't really keep their lead, you know, built unless they're constantly hitting on offense. They need they need help on on the running back side of things. Uh, and the Bills defense just they couldn't stop hurting themselves. I mean, just in general, you know, penalty they had costly penalties and they had some missed a lot of miscommunication. Tyreek Hill torched them completely Tyreek Hill just destroyed them uh and man just that second quarter was just ridiculous I mean the Chiefs scored 21 points in just the second quarter alone like the Bills defense was just it was almost non-existent it was it was kind of ridiculous actually uh but yeah that's those are that's everything I've got to say for the Bills and Chiefs uh well let's hop to you uh just like you I was fairly underwhelmed by this game um, you know, I thought the Bills would put up a better fight. It felt like the kind of after they scored the, their first nine, it was a long buffer period. It felt like for them yeah. to really get back on track, which it my opinion never really did. Um, you know, the lack of a running game is finally caught up to the Bills. You know, the only person that really ran for them was you know Josh Allen with 88 rushing yards. That's great and all, but 
like you said, the running backs, Devil Singletary did not step up when they needed him to. You know, I'm not so, I'm surprised how well the Chiefs run defense has gotten over the past few games as well. They've been doing a very good job holding a lot of these teams uh, far under their uh, <clears throat> under their rushing averages per game. You know, the Chiefs did a really good job also containing Diggs. That's probably the, the biggest blaring factor to me. Diggs didn't have – only had, like, two catches for most of the game until, I think, the fourth quarter where he got a couple more catches. But that's when garbage time at that point. Um, you know, the Bills got exploited, you know, for relying far too much on Diggs and Allen. That connection, it get, finally got exploited because – it felt like that was kind of their offense. It, our offense just ran on, oh, how can I get the ball to Diggs? Like, where's Diggs at? Is he down there? Like, you know, he's down there. I'm chugging at the Diggs. But they really did a good job, you know, containing him. Um, Two-mile defense is not doing a good job containing. The Bills defense didn't do a good job containing Terry Hill and Travis Kelsey, like you mentioned earlier. Both of them went off for 100-plus receiving yard games which is nothing new at this point. Those two still, like, they always go off for 100-plus receiving yard games. Um, there's just nobody as fast as Tyreek Hill. Um, Tyreek Hill, you know, I used to run track. I've seen a lot of fast people in my life. I've never seen someone run as fast as Tyreek Hill with pads. Like, some of pads on run as fast as that, I, you know. In track, you see people running fast, and they're just wearing, a, you know, a singlet, and that's it. But, like, in football, you're wearing pads. He's moving so fast. When he ran across the field and just – he was absolutely gone. I was just shocked. I was like, wow. I, I had nothing really to say about that else than just, wow. He torched – like you said, he torched that defense. You know, the Bills defense typically only allows 234.7 yards per game, which – in the regular season, which had them at 14th in the league. So they were always kind of – average but Patrick Holmes threw for 325 obviously they couldn't they didn't have much answers to the Chiefs offense uh, which has been a case we've seen with a lot of teams um, they have no real answer for Hill they have no real answer for Kelsey you know they have no real answer to Patrick Holmes accuracy um, you know the fact that he came off concussion protocol earlier in the week and like you said had turf toe coming into the game. I mean, he just overcame so much. I, I just felt like the Bills had it just it just nothing worked in their favor. It felt like um, um, I never had the Bills winning. I know you, in our original prediction, had the Bills going to the Super Bowl potentially, but for me, I just felt like the Chiefs are right in stride, and I felt like this is this was the time. I was concerned about the concussion protocol at first, but obviously he cleared he cleared it. Um, you know, props to the Chiefs, man. Props to the Chiefs. And also, I do want to shout out uh, Travis Kelsey. I believe he broke Shannon Sharp's record for most receptions by a tight end uh, in a playoff game. So, I mean, that hats off to Travis Kelsey. That connection between him and him and Mahomes is ridiculous, uh, and man, the Chiefs are just basically like they're, they're the new Patriots. They really are. They're that team that even when everything goes wrong for them and you're like, oh, they're finally going to lose, like they find a way to win. It's 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 ridiculous. Like they find a way to just crush the hearts of whoever has hope in them losing. And yeah, I, I'm just, I'm pretty excited for this uh, Super Bowl matchup though. I am excited for this. Uh, speaking of which, let's jump right into it. Let's go ahead. Um 
So give me give me your prediction for the Bucks versus Chiefs. What do you think the scores the final score is going to be? Um, off the top of my head, I'll go with Chiefs 31-23. Okay. Uh, I said the Chiefs are going to win 38-35. to But that 35 is going to come in a little garbage time, but I'll talk about that a little bit later. So in my opinion, you know, you can stamp this right here as, boom, Burt's opinion right here. I think Tom Brady will throw two more picks. That is, that is my prediction of the game. Let's stamp that in. Uh, and like I said before, I, the Chiefs are not going to waste those opportunities. They will take those opportunities. They will turn them into scores. But the thing is, the reason I have it so close is that, you know, Tampa Bay, first off, they have Tom Brady, who actually he's been pretty bad in the fourth quarter. I'm not going to lie, uh, especially in, in, in just this, uh, these past few playoff games. But, you know, I do think that they have so many weapons that, you know, it's going to be impossible to not keep the game close in the end, uh, even if it's in garbage time. Uh, like even if the Chiefs go up 38 to let's say 28 and then the Bucks just go ahead and score another touchdown and the Chiefs run them out or something. Like that, that's kind of my scenario that I see happening. Uh, and look, I know we're not supposed to bet against Tom Brady, but look, I'm not betting against Mahomes either. Okay. <laughs> I've learned my lesson. Yeah. I've learned my lesson from that. Uh, I'm not betting against Mahomes. Uh it's it's a really fun storyline and, and it's a really fun matchup. You know, just the goat versus you know someone who could be the goat one day. Uh, you know, the old old head versus the new uh, new young gun. Uh, it's it's just a, I really like the storyline and matchup. Uh, and the last time that Brady and Mahomes saw each other was two years ago, I believe, in the AFC Championship, Patriots versus Chiefs. That game went to overtime. And Patrick Mahomes never even got to touch the ball in overtime. Tom Brady just let, let, let it drive and won it. Mahomes, I know for a fact that man did not forget any of that uh, at all, and he's going to come back with a vengeance, and he's not going to let the Chiefs lose his game this time. Uh, and another thing I do want to say, Sammy Watkins will be available for the Chiefs. Antoine Winnefield is, is uh, suspected to be available for the uh, the Bucks, as well as Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell. So these teams are basically fully healthy at this point, uh, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a very very good Super Bowl. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. Um, here's kind of how notes I kind of took for this. Um, the Chiefs could be in some slight trouble, um, even though they won against the Bills. They did lose their uh, one of their offensive linemen, Eric Fisher. Due to oh, yeah. Achilles injury, um, sports all sports is also out. Um, another offense lineman they have. Um, honestly, it's going to come down to how well the Bucks front seven can go against to uh, go against the Chiefs offensive line because their offensive line is banged up. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't expect Patrick Holmes to get sacked too too much in the game, but you know. We just saw Jaquil Barrett and, you know, JPP really, you know, put the work on Rodgers. Um, that's something to least consider. I mean, you know, if those guys, if they can get a lot of pressure on Mahomes and rattle him a bit, it could definitely throw a wrench into their game plan because, honestly, their game plan is just to get the ball to Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey because um, that's always their game plan. It's a winning game plan. Why change it? Um, 
But I do want to mention the fact that you'd said that the last time Brady and Mahomes played was in the AFC Championship a couple of years ago. Actually, they played Week 12. The Buccaneers, this is a rematch of Week 12, the Buccaneers versus the Chiefs, where Tyreek Hill had 269 yards receiving and three touchdowns and torched them in the, in the first half. And Travis Kelsey had 82 uh, receiving yards in, the, in that game. Um, so this is a rematch. I do not see the Buccaneers winning still. I, I just don't have enough faith in the Buccaneers. I feel like their defense is their driving factor, and I feel like their defense won't get enough pressure on Mahomes to rattle him in the sense that they did to Rodgers, in the sense that they did to Drew Brees, in the sense that they did to Taylor Heineke and his other past few games we've seen. Um, you know, it's all, I mean, everyone loves giving Brady so much credit, you know, the GOAT and then, you know, all that stuff. You know, he's is the best player. He is the greatest of all time, but he's, you know, father time's creeping up. And, you know, as much as everyone loves Tom Brady and acts like he's invincible to it, you know, you can never grow, you know, you can never stop aging. Um, Tom Brady to me doesn't look as sharp as he has in previous years. Um, I just don't feel like he'll perform his best. He makes a lot of strange mistakes. Um, so like you said, there is some miscommunication between him and receivers, which you'd think that would have been uh, addressed by now, but obviously, you know, he's still trying to get a feel for that offense. Strangely enough, even though they're in the Super Bowl now, um, maybe that can contribute to what you were saying earlier, how you said you didn't feel like the NMC was strong enough um, to really stop the Buccaneers from this tirade, um, which I, I can contribute that as well uh, to a certain extent. I did not feel like they were the best team in the NFC, but I do feel like they were definitely one of the better teams in the NFC for sure, especially in the ending half of the season where, you know, they played such easy teams and just picked up so much momentum going into the playoffs. And I feel like right now they're riding the momentum. And, you know, when you have players like David White, you know, you have players like, you know, Shaquille Barrett, you have players, Vita V's back, you know, that dude is someone they needed back. He's, I think he got injured back, I want to say week seven or so. He got injured a while back in, in the season. Now he's finally back. So that's another person you got to, you know, watch out for. And I can sue. It's just that that front line, you know, that front seven, that's really the X factor for the Buccaneers. Um, but I still don't, like I said earlier, I keep reiterating, I just still don't think that's enough to stop Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, you know, momentum is on the Bucks side, but talent is definitely on the Chiefs side. Because the Chiefs, this is what they do. Like, yeah, they're, you know, they want just won 38 to 24. And, you know, momentum's always high for them, but that's just how the team plays. The momentum's always that way. They, that team rarely loses. In the last 26 games, they're 25 and one. The one loss coming from the Las Vegas Raiders. So, this is how this is what we come accustomed to. Uh, oh, excuse me. When Patrick Mahomes was playing, because they also lost to the Chargers in Week 17. But you know, when Mahomes has played in the last 26 games, yeah, that's what's been for them. So, you know, the Bucks are just trying to get used to this moment. That this is what the Chiefs do. The Chiefs, for me, it's their game. It's their game to lose, if anything. Yeah. Uh... Also, I want to go back to something I, I meant the last time they met in the postseason. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. uh, that's my bad. Uh, but yeah, you, you're totally right on the Bucks game plan. 
you know, they need to bring Mahomes to the ground. If Mahomes' jersey is not, like, half green by the end of the game, they've done a bad job. Like, they're going to lose. Uh, you know, Mahomes and Brady are kind of – they're kind of similar in a sense of, you know, the more they get sacked, uh, obviously the less effective they are, the more they get a little bit rattled. Uh, and, you know, even though they did, they did lose a couple linemen – you know, the Chiefs offensive line is still one of the best in the league. And even outside of that, Mahomes is mobile enough to roll out of the pocket, you know, throw, uh, throw as he runs, you know, just on some Madden type stuff, you know, he's, to me, it's, it's really on like how, how well he comes back from this turf toe injury. If he's still not fully healthy from the turf toe, I do think that the Bucks line could feast on him. If he doesn't, or if he does come back fully healthy, I think he'll be fine. Uh, I think he'll be able to roll out of the pocket and just beat him while he runs and throws. Because he's honestly just as accurate running and throwing as he is in the pocket and throwing. Uh, And obviously, look, Tyreek Hill is going to torch them again. (laughs) Like you said earlier, Tyreek Hill is one of the fastest people in the league, one of the fastest people ever. I mean, he, like you said, he runs incredibly uh, fast in pads. So, you know, I'm expecting Tyreek Hill to have a fantastic game. Travis Kelsey as well. Uh, you know, the Bucks are really, really relying on this, uh, on their defensive line to kind of win them the, win them the day in the, on the defensive end. And I don't think that's going to be enough. Uh, Mahomes is just, look, Mahomes is just too good. Like straight up, he's just too good. And the Chiefs, like the Chiefs defensive line shouldn't be slept on either. They did a very good job pressuring Josh Allen last week. Uh, they did, uh, you know, they pressured Baker a lot last week. I could really see them uh, pressuring Brady this week, even though the Bucks do have a good offensive line as well. I could see Brady really being pressured into some bad throws, into some picks even. So, you know, we'll we'll see. But it's going to be a very good Super Bowl. Uh, the, Tom Brady is playing in Tampa Bay, which is – or they're playing, you know, in Florida, which is uh, Tampa Bay's home. So it's going to be very interesting to see. This is the first ever. This is the first ever time that a Super Bowl has been hosted by the team by one of the teams that's going to the Super Bowl. So it, it's going to be very very interesting to see. Uh, okay, we've spent a massive amount of time on the NFL, but let's let's jump in and slide some NBA news into there. Uh, so, man, Colin Sexton destroyed the Nets <laughs> on back to back nights. Uh, you know, there were so many hot takes right off the bat about the Nets and, you know, about their big three. But, man, like, I don't disagree with a lot of them. I mean, the Cavaliers were ranked the number one worst offense coming into the game against the Nets, and they dropped 147 on them in the first game. And I believe – I forgot exactly how much it dropped on them in the second game, but it was it was in the 120s, I believe. You just, you know, the Nets defense is horrendous. Um, James Harden, James Harden is kind of the one sacrificing right now, just from what I've seen. He's kind of the one taking a step back and trying to play make more. Uh, He's, it's strange because we both agreed that Kyrie's uh, obviously, you know, no, uh, he's still a great player, but no offense. He's the worst of these big, of the big three. We both agreed that, you know, he, he should be the one in theory taking, you know, a step back, but 
he's taken the most shots out of KD and James Harden uh, in, in the past, I believe, four or so games they've had together. You know, they he's clearly he clearly does not want to sacrifice. Uh, I don't blame Kyrie, uh, but it does seem like James Harden is kind of the one taking the step back because he can play make. Uh, and, you know, I'm not sure exactly how good that is for their offense, but, you know, Kyrie was cooking uh, in those Nets games, but they just, they didn't, it wasn't winning basketball because their defense was horrendous. Uh, yeah, and, I mean. There you go, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching those first two games with the, for the Nets when they first, uh, you know, the big three first came together. I was just not impressed. I'm I'm kind of disturbed by how many shots Kyrie takes. I feel like he's definitely, you know, he definitely should be the one they should try to consider playing more with the bench unit. Uh, not obviously he'll start, but then play with the more of the bench unit because the bench unit could always use some scoring. Just because James Harden is the best uh, playmaker doesn't mean he should be the one playing the most with the bench unit um, and all that kind of stuff. I, I the defense was absolutely horrendous, like you were saying. Um, in the second game against the Cavs, uh, Kevin Durant did not play; he rested. But it was it showed because the defense was even worse. Um, you know, Kevin Durant out of the big three um, plays the best defense, but he, in my opinion, he plays. De- he's really he's good at defense when they need him to be. Um, he's not someone I see as I wouldn't call him a, a elite defender. Uh, he's a solid defender uh, when they need him to be. Um, but it just, for me, the Nets, these first, the first two games, I should say, um, just not impressed whatsoever. Just not impressed. And it was really bad. Go ahead. It was really bad. Let me finish off. Sorry about that. It was really bad watching the OT because Colin Sexton hit a shot over uh, Kyrie and KD. So it, um, it was just a testament how much they need to improve on defense. I'm sorry. You can go again. Uh, I just want to put out there, I've been watching Sexton since his days at Pebble Brook. Uh, I, look, I, even I never really imagined he would be this good, though. He's killing it uh, this season. He's kind of having a little bit of a breakout, um, at least in terms of, you know, getting into the public eye. Uh, but, you know, they have won twice against the Heat. Uh, just as, as of the time we're recording this, they've beat the Heat twice. I'm not very impressed by either of the wins because the Heat are decimated by COVID first off, uh, and Jimmy Butler was not present for either game. You know, they – and they still, you know, it was still close for a while, and Bam Adebayo was absolutely cooking them. I mean, he hit a turnaround three from the corner like like LeBron did against the Wizards a few years back. Like, Bam Adebayo was going absolutely nuts, and, you know, they still – it was still close, which the Nets need to be blowing that team out, in my opinion. Uh, if there's no Jimmy Butler on the Heat, you need to be blowing that team out. They did play good defense the, uh, on the the second game against the Heat, but still, you know, look, it's a team missing their leader. Like, you, you should, like, you know, you should be playing good defense against them in general. Steve Nash has kind of tried to alleviate the uh, the big drop off between the starting lineup and the bench by playing James Harden with the bench, which it, it's worked out pretty decently. But you know, I I just really want James Harden to play like James Harden again. 
he's not playing like himself right now. He's really just trying to get used to everything. And I think when he gets put to the bench, I think that's the perfect time for him to just go, all right, let me play like I did in Houston real quick with this bench and turn them into a very, very good unit. I think that is like the moment for James Harden to really step up and show what he can bring to the tables. When you, when you bring uh, when you sit the starters, keep them with the bench and let him just run wild. Like he did in Houston. Uh, yeah. I, we talked about this last week, you know, should, should they trade Kyrie for role players? I still don't think that's a bad idea. I really don't. They really need defense, especially interior defense. Um, their perimeter defense is not great, but um, obviously it's decent enough, you know, to the point where if they just had someone on the interior, they could look tremendously better. Uh, I know you brought up a couple suggestions to me off camera about who they could trade for. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll swing it to you. And why don't you go ahead and tell me who they could uh, pick up here? Yeah. Um, so I've seen in some, you know, some reports and some sources saying, you know, they should consider, uh, you know, Kevin Love and JaVale McGee from the Cavaliers. Um, I've seen that in multiple reports that they were talking about both of them. Uh, I think it was Jason Dumas was one of the reports. And another one was uh, the Kevin O'Connor. He's, I think, a journalist or so, or one of those ringer. guys. Yeah, with Ringer. Um, he, he thinks that the, excuse me, he thinks the Nets can uh, acquire Andre Drummond via a contract buyout. Um, that wouldn't be a bad decision. Andre Drummond's not the greatest post defender, but he does offer a lot of rebounding, which the team could also still use. Um, he, just having another big body in general, I think, would be something the team can uh, definitely use. Possibly move Andre DeAndre Jordan to uh, you know the second unit and have Drummond in the main unit as just a guy for which get rebounds and putbacks. You know, clean up clean up the boards and all that stuff if they need him to. Um, I feel like that would be a, a more ideal role for him. Um, there was a report talking about just adding depth in general to the Nets roster. Um, they said Isaiah Thomas was an option they were considering. I think that's a horrible decision, especially how bad defensively he is. That team would be would suffer if he played in the second unit because – I do want to jump in Isaiah Thomas. For those who don't <laughs> believe how bad he is on defense, I watched like every single Wizards game last year. And uh, all the stats also bear this out, right? So when when Isaiah Thomas was playing with the Wizards last year, when he was on the court, the Wizards' defense plummeted to the worst in NBA history. It gave up like a hundred and I believe hundred and seven, hundred eight points a game or something like that, or it might have been more. I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it was some ridiculous number where like Isaiah Thomas, when he was on the floor, tanked the entire team's defensive rating to the point where it was the worst in NBA history. And when he left, that team went up to 14th in the league in terms of defensive uh, points allowed and stuff like that. So there's a big, you know, he really does not defend. He is horrendous for defense. And the Nets are already, they're, they're ranked 29th in the league, I believe. Or no, they're ranked 28th, I think. Uh, they're ranked somewhere in the bottom in the very bottom half of the league in terms of defense. So it would not help them at all to have, uh, to have Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. I was thinking maybe, uh, maybe JaVel McGee would be a decent person to pick up. He's fairly cheap. 
He's uh, a veteran. Come off. He's he's always been solid off the bench. We saw him pretty good off the bench when he was it his time in the Lakers. Um, I just feel like you know if they were con- to consider that, I feel like that would be something that would be a bit more ideal for the team. I don't know if they can acquire a player like Kevin Love. I feel like that would involve giving up more than they already have. I feel like if they keep gutting the bench even more for you know players of Kevin Love's caliber, it would definitely just continue to hurt the team furthermore. Um, so I don't see them getting plus his contract is just I mean he's still under contract for I believe about around 30 million a year that's like he, they they probably can't even trade for him realistically but uh, I do want to correct myself as well the Nets are actually 20th in defensive uh, efficiency so they are in the bottom 10 in the league that's one of the yeah yeah but M- McGee would be someone I would say yeah. to add a bit more defense um, you know he's an older guy I, I'm assuming that you know he would like to be on the championship team again. Um, I don't know if this team team has aspirations to go to the finals, like people assume they might. Um, like I said, I think the team personally, when I watched the team play against the the Magic and the Bucks, it was just Harden and Durant. They played much better. And I was much more sold on this team as a unit compared to when Kyrie got reinserted into the lineup. I'm not a big fan of um, the way Kyrie plays on this. Uh, with this team as a whole, um, he's just, for me, he's just too selfish of a player. I think I was, when I watched, I think it was, when I was watching the first Cavs, the first Cavs-Nets game, it showed, like, the stats for the big three. And it showed Durant had, you know, like, 30-plus points, you know, 10-plus rebounds. It showed that he did more than just score. And then it showed James Harden had a triple-double. And I was like, oh, that's nice. I see Kyrie. All it was was, the amount of points he had, shot attempts he, t- he, t- he took. And I'm like, he's got to do more than just score. Yeah. Um, I think he had three blocks that game, which is great and all, but obviously didn't mean anything when, you know, when Colin Sexton's dropping buckets right in your face. So mm-hmm. defensively, he can always still improve. I think, you know, him being the facilitator, I feel like that's out of the, out of the, out of the picture at this point. Obviously, James Harden has to be the main guy facilitating, but – I'm I'm concerned. I'm 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 not sold on the Nets yet. I I don't know where they want to go from here. I don't think they will. Like I said in the last podcast, and I'll say it again, I don't think they're going to trade Kyrie this season, um, or or even ever. Um, but they they got to do something to address this their defense. They got to do something to address their defense immediately. Yeah, I totally agree that Javale McGee's. I I think he is the best option in this scenario. Uh, I do have a little bit of uh, – let's move on from this topic because uh, I do have a little bit of breaking news uh, from the for the NFL side of things, actually. I know we just spent so much time talking about the NFL. but uh, So apparently Rodgers, he uh, hopped on the Pat McAfee show, and he downplayed the rumors about him being traded um, or him leaving the Packers. He said, uh, quote, I don't think there's any reason I wouldn't be back. So I think it was like I was saying earlier. Uh, you know, I think Aaron Rodgers was just putting pressure on the front office to help him out uh, going forward. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Give me a quick note on that as well. I just felt like also that was one of those things kind of said out of frustration. Um, mm-hmm. He was definitely very upset after that game. I understand. And I understand 100% why he would be. Um, but, you know, like I said, I didn't feel like he was going to leave, leave, but just when he made that statement, it did 
obviously create some controversy. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and jump to Kevin Porter Jr. got traded to Houston for a second rounder. Now, uh, I will admit I was dead wrong on this. I didn't think he was actually going to get traded, but Houston took a shot on him. So for a second, you know, it's not a horrible deal. Uh, you know, it, it really it really depends on, you know, can the Rockets get him any help that he needs uh, for his mental health? And can they just be respectful to him and not give away his locker? That's kind of <laughs> that's kind of the main yeah. thing with the Rockets. Yeah. Uh, my thing is, um, you know, they, the Cavs kind of give him up for nothing. I mean, understandably so. He was kind of, it was kind of at the point where, like, it's either we cut him or we just give up for something. Um, you know, he's a young player, a lot of potential, like we said before. Um, you know, it's, it kind of goes along with the whole rebuilding process for Houston anyway. They can use a young player. Um, I don't know how, when he's going to start playing, because I think they are currently trying to find him some help. And, you know, to deal with a lot of his off-the-court issues at the moment. But I think once he starts playing, I think he'll be a solid asset for the team. Yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and jump to CJ McCollum. He got a fractured left foot out for at least four weeks. Man, this is a big blow to the Blazers. What, what do you think – what happens to the Blazers now? Uh, I wouldn't. They said that one of the reports said that he'll be out for at least. I know you said four weeks, but they put that in perspective. He'll be out for at least at least sixteen games. They said yeah. um, this is already on top of Nurkic, whatever his injury. He's going to be out for at least twenty three games, and already on the fact that Zach Collins has already been injured coming into the season. It just seems like they seem to lose more and more pieces uh, due to injury. Um, I'm concerned for the Blazers. The Blazers, I, they, they will probably see a drop in their standings. Um, we already saw them lose two, uh, two games since McCollum's injury. Mm-hmm. One of the games uh, I felt they were very winnable, which was the one against the Thunder last night. Um, they struggled even against the Knicks. And I know the Knicks, the Knicks are a good defensive team, but at the end of the day, I hate to be that guy. The Knicks are still the Knicks at the moment. Um, you know, it's just they're really leaving it up to Dame to be the primary scorer. And, you know, uh, I think a stat you had with, for CJ's usage was 28%, correct? Yeah. Um, so 28%, that's like one, about like one fourth of the game. I mean, they, that's a lot. Almost you know, a third. To, yeah, honestly, yeah. I mean, that's a lot of slack for them to pick up. Um, I got to really have to rely on, I think they're going to really have to rely on Gary Trent Jr around the hood to really pick up the slack in uh, CJ's absence. And Anthony Simons was someone you brought up as well before the show. Uh, Yeah, I really like him. I I was high on him in the draft. I think he's going to end up being really good. Uh, He's only, I think he's only about 21 right now. So he's still very, very young. He's got a lot to, a lot of, you know, work to do, but this is my concern with CJ McComb going out. Um, If you watch the Blazers games, they're very much reliant on C.J. McCollum more than they have been in, in past years. C.J. McCollum, I mean, he's been averaging, what, I think 26 points a game. Uh, he's been shooting 41% from three. Uh, he's, you know, he's been their, he's, I feel like he's been their main scorer. He's been their main scoring option. I, Dame's having a little bit of a, a little bit of a downward year, but he's going to pick it back up. I, I, Dame will pick it back up. Uh, 
But for right now, CJ has been the one that's killing it. He's been playing at, at straight up an all-star level. Uh, and it's kind of weird that he's never been an all-star, but I mean, obviously the West has been stacked. So, you know, this, this could have been the year he became an all-star with this month out. I'm not sure what, what happens anymore. Uh, but losing somebody who was averaging 26 points a game, who's, you know, his, whose usage rate was massive at 28%. It's going to be a big blow to this team. I mean, this, you know, they played three games without him. They lost to the Spurs, 104 to 125. They lost to the, uh, they beat the Knicks, 113 to 116, in a game that was closer than it probably should have been. And they beat, they lost to the Thunder, 125 to 122, which they should have won, let's be real. Uh, in terms of their, my prime problem with the Blazers is that they're already so horrible on defense. They need to keep scoring to keep it up. Uh, currently on defense, they are the 28th worst defense in the league. Uh, and they're, you know, right behind uh, Washington and they're right above Minnesota. So they're in that realm of their defense sucks straight up. It sucks. And if they can't make up for it on offense, which their offensive efficiency, this is with CZ McCollum is actually seventh best in the league. They're the seventh best offense in the league, but with CJ McCollum going out, that's going to plummet. And you know, the defensive efficiency won't go up any higher with CJ McCollum out. So, you know, they're, they're currently sitting at fifth in the West right now at nine and seven. That is going down. <laughs> they are going to be, you know, hustling just to try and stay in the playoff race while CJ's out. Uh, uh, he's just such a big part of this team. Um, and if you don't believe me, watch the games. <laughs> That's all I can say. Just, you can see his impact. Uh, it kind of goes a little bit beyond the box score. Uh, and it's just, you know, he's been such a good player for them that with him going out, I don't see this team in the playoff hunt right now. They're, they're going to be struggling to keep up. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say that um, this team's defense is much worse than I thought it was going to be this season. Um, you know, with them getting Robert Covington and Derek Jones Jr., you would have thought maybe they would have played better defensively. But I think people overrate them as defenders at times as well. Um, I like Derrick Jones Jr. I like Robert Covington. Uh, I really like Robert Covington as a defender, but he's not Kawhi Leonard, you know. He's not even Paul George, you know. Uh, these guys aren't <laughs> these guys aren't the greatest defenders. They're solid defenders. People got to remember that. They're solid defenders. Um, I think that this team needs to figure out their identity defensively. You know, their offense can't be their defense anymore because – without McCullum putting up 26 points per game, they're going to have to look to someone else to score. And for me, I don't see anyone scoring 20-plus night in, night out, besides Dame on that team at the moment. Um, they probably need to try to get Melo re-involved uh, re with the offense a bit more. I feel like Melo does doesn't see as much minutes as he should. I feel like though he is older than most other players in the team, he does add a solid extra dimension um, you know, Melo does play defense occasionally. He's still okay on, um, you know, off the ball. I, I just feel like the team could, the team, I just, I don't know. I couldn't see this team really having someone else to really step up about McCollum. I'm you know worried for this team. You know who I think they really miss? Which I think player? they really, really miss Hassan Whiteside. And I was kind of, I was, um, I was telling you and other people in the off season before the podcast was even created, you know, 
I think them moving away from Hassan Whiteside was a big mistake. Because, you know, even if you go back to watching that Blazers versus Lakers series, I know Hassan Whiteside didn't, you know, obviously you can't shut down Anthony Davis or anything like that. But the fact that he was playing decent defense on Anthony Davis, and then, you know, whenever they put Nurkic in the game, he just got immediately cooked. They went to AD like every single time. AD would just like post him up, dunk on him, do whatever. Use of Nurkic just does not play defense. Uh, and, and Hassan Whiteside was actually a very, very surprisingly effective rim protector. Uh, and, you know, I thought that the second they lost Hassan Whiteside, I was like, this team isn't going to go anywhere in the postseason again because they just let, you know, they desperately need defenders and they keep letting defenders go for, you know, they did obviously need a defense at the wing, but there's only so much you can do on perimeter defense before a guy does eventually break, break by you and goes to the rim. And if there's nobody there to meet him at the rim, you know, that's why their defense is horrendous right now. Yusuf Nurkic wasn't, wasn't helping when he was healthy on the defensive end, in my opinion. And they didn't get a solid rim protector to back him up. Again, they went out and got Ennis Cantor, who, look, <laughs> he is known for not defending. Like, he, that, that is his biggest shtick, is that he just he's fully offense. He never defends. Um, and they also got Harry Giles, who he's very interesting. I do think he needs more minutes. He's been playing considerably well on both ends of the floor. Uh, but yeah, it's just the defensive scheme that, you know, I guess Terry Stotts has cooked up. It's just, it doesn't work uh, this season, even with like some of the defensive players they got. And, you know, they, they really need to rim protector really badly. Uh, they, they might even be in the hunt for a JaVale McGee. Uh, Maybe they trade Harry Giles for JaVale McGee or something. I don't know. Uh, But, you know, they, they're a team that needs defense badly to stay in playoff contention because the West is just so packed this year. Uh, but, you know, yeah, that's about it. The Blazers are just horrible on defense. That's my final ending note on that. Yeah, I mean, their next two games are against the Rockets and the Bulls. If they can't win those games, which they lost against the Thunder, which I thought was a winnable game, um, if they can't beat the Rockets or the Bulls, this team could be in a lot more trouble than we think. Yeah, so uh, the next – we're going on a little bit long here, so I want to kind of – Zoom through these next two final topics, but uh, Trey Young, Trey Young, and Steve Nash have had a little back and forth, uh, which is strange. Uh, but yeah, so Trey Young he responded to Steve Nash, who kind of roasted him, I guess earlier. He he talked about so Steve Nash in a, in a press conference after the after a Hawks versus Nets game, he said uh, when asked about Trey Young, he said that's not basketball. Uh, when, there, when he was asked about Trey Young's play style, he said, uh, you know, he went on to just say that, like the way he drew fouls just wasn't, you know, the league shouldn't be allowing this. And it's just like, you know, it, it's not, it's not fair to, to the Nets and Trey Young, for those who don't know, Trey Young's favorite player growing up was Steve Nash. Like he idolized Steve Nash, grew up idolizing him. And what's weird is that, um, I'm not sure if it's directly linked to it, but you know, ever since Steve Nash had said that Trey Young's stats did deplete significantly for a short while. Um, but Trey Young finally responded to that Steve Nash quote, and he said that uh, he said, "quote I bet if I was playing for Steve, he'd be happy. I learned a lot about drawing fouls from him. If he says it's not basketball, 
he must have been saying it about himself because he's done it a couple of times throughout his career and was so successful. Man, it's look, he's right. He's right. It's, it's funny how Steven Nash complained that much about, you know, the fouls being drawn and stuff like that and really, you know, weird ways and like suspect ways. And then he got James Harden, whose entire game is I'm going to force you into a foul or I'm going to hit this layup or step back. Like, yeah. I mean, what, what do you think about this whole scenario? I, I think it was a very soft rebuttal by Trey Young. I felt like he took him taking the student teacher kind of angle to defend himself. I feel like that's kind of like, really. I feel like that's kind of weak. I, I felt like this response was kind of like, I, did, I wasn't a big fan of it. I mean, Steve Nash being good at drawing fouls, it made sense, you know, because when I know it's like the old head and all that, but when he was playing, the league was a was physical, more physical. Let's be honest, the league was more physical back when Steve Nash did play. So him learning how to take, um, you know, draw fouls and stuff like that, it made sense. I mean, Steve Nash took some nasty fouls. He's broken his nose multiple times. Everyone knows the, the infamous hip check that he, he got from Robert Ori, where he flew literally into the scorer's table. I mean, the dude, he took some nasty fouls. Trey Young literally throws himself into defenders. Like he, the one um, on the Nets game in particular where he went back, like his, he put his body back into TLC. I'm like, this is, this is strange. Like I've, I, I didn't like the way he played it. It is a soft move. I think it, it isn't basketball, what he's doing. Um, it's like they both are doing the same thing. But the way he does it is not the way, like, in my way, like, how I see it, it's just not the way basketball should be played. Like, Steve Nash would, like, like, James, like even James Harden, James, James Harden would at least, he'd throw himself in there, like, throw a shoulder in there, and he'll fly out. But, like, Trey Young's, like, like tooting his behind into the 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 defender. It happened to Malik Beasley, happened to TLC on the Nets. I, I just felt like, you know, it's Strange. I, I, I'm not a big Trey Young fan. I think that he's always been an offensively, you know, all offense, no defense. The dude was statistically the worst defender in back-to-back seasons, the two seasons he did play in the NBA. Um, so I don't think he understands from a defender standpoint how, 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 how this is not basketball. It really isn't. Like, just the way he does it. I'm not saying drawing fouls is not basketball. Obviously, you're trying, to, you're trying to get your team to the advantage. Free throws are, you know, that's where you want to be. But just the way he does it, I didn't like it. I don't think this rebuttal was it. I think this was weak on his part. I'm, I'm completely on the opposite of you. I loved this rebuttal. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, and you know what? He's right. Let's be real. Steve Nash, he exploded at a very late age, a late age of like 32 or something, or somewhere in his 30s or late 20s. That's when kind of he took off. Now you got to kind of look at, you know, why did he take off that late? Was it because he really made a, a big jump in his career, uh, you know, and really stepped himself up? Not particularly. What, what really what really stepped up for Steve Nash or what, what made him step up was they removed hand checking. And immediately Steve Nash, like the next season, was blowing up because now you couldn't hand check, you couldn't take him out of his game. He blew up immediately, you know. Steve Nash really shouldn't, in my opinion, be talking about this kind of stuff because he benefited heavily from a rule change that gave him a lot more space on offense, a lot more ability to do more things. 
So, you know, the fact that he's kind of saying that's not basketball. I mean, let's be real without the hand checking. Is that basketball? Is that basketball too? You know, we, we hand check on the street. Uh, but would you consider it, you know, people, I'm sure people in back in Steve Nash's day were saying the same thing about him. That's not basketball. You know, if we could hand check him, he wouldn't even be in the game. And, you know, to an extent they were kind of right. You know, that rule change really kind of drove Steve Nash's career to the next level. I don't think he'd be sitting here with two MVPs without that rule change. Uh, and so in my opinion, just Steve Nash shouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> he really shouldn't be. I don't think he has any right to really talk about this. And it's just kind of messed up because, you know, because Trey Young really did, you know, uh, when he was asked, you know, early in his career, he really did say Steve Nash was one of the people he modeled his game after. And for Steve Nash to kind of go at him like that, I know, I, I'm pretty sure he did apologize later on for it. He said, he said he had no ill will towards Trey Young, but it's still, man, it's just, Look, look, this is his first time being a head coach. And so this is, you know, he's, I know he's used to the media from being around players and stuff like, or from playing in the league, but that's just something you, you got to keep to yourself. If you really have those opinions, you've got to keep that to yourself. You can talk about maybe the refs being horrible for calling that, but you shouldn't blame Trey Young for taking advantage of it. The refs are calling it, you know, do whatever it takes to get your team the W. If the refs are calling it, take advantage of it. And it, all the, all, obviously, a lot of this, um, that's not basketball kind of fouls. Those kind of fouls started with James Harden's game, in my opinion, uh, just the way he would kind of throw himself into defenders just slightly, or he'd hang his forearm out. So he'd purposely get slapped or he'd, you know, obviously move his forearm up to somebody's hand. So it looks like he got slapped just like, like tiny stuff like that. Like James Harden is fan- He's, he's very, very intelligent. Uh, and he's very, very skilled at drawing fouls because he knows how to do it. But, you know, that's kind of what started this whole, you know, he's getting too many foul calls. That's not basketball, kind of. A, that, that's what kind of started it, in my opinion. And now Steve Nash is coaching a guy who, you know, he was kind of the he's, – he's worse than Trey Young, in my opinion, at drawing those kind of fouls. Uh, he does it more frequently, too. So that's my take on it. Uh, but it's, it's very interesting that you were on Steve Nash's side. I did not expect that at all. I'll say this. I do agree that James Harden did take it to another level with drawing fouls. I think when he did it, it was absolutely ridiculous as well. I'm not trying to defend Steve Nash as much mm-hmm. as um, – well, I did try to defend him a bit earlier. But I'm not, I'm not defending You're trying the to action of – Yeah, I'm not trying to defend the action of drawing fouls. I just don't – like the way he goes about it, mm-hmm. the way Harden went about it, the way Trey Young went to, goes about it, I don't like their notion. Like when James Harden would hook other people's arms into his body, draw a foul, you know, and Trey Young's throwing his body into uh, defenders. I just feel like that that's not how basketball should be played. It is how it's played at times, but it shouldn't be. When you get down to the fundamentals of basketball, that's not how basketball is played. I feel like that's how, how I took the quote from Nash. That's kind of how I saw it. Like, Mm-hmm. From the standpoint of the fundamentals of basketball, that's not how it's played. Yeah. I'm not saying, you know, uh-huh. Nash never did it. It's just how he went about it. And I do believe that Nash, uh, he meant to push that criticism more towards the refs than he did to Trey Young. Uh, but I also do agree that, that that way of basketball isn't as fun to watch. It's a lot of, you know, it slows the game down with all these free throws and stuff like that. But, you know, like you said earlier, it's kind of how the game's played. So unless the refs kind of collectively sit down and kind of agree 
you know, we should stop calling these kind of calls or let it play a little bit more. I don't think it's going to happen. And let's be real. The NBA refs just get softer every year with the, I mean, you can just see all the technicals boogie cousins gets for doing nothing. Uh, you, you know, see the, the one Draymond got yeah. where he yelled at James Wiseman and got ejected. Yeah. Yeah. They, they rescinded. I believe they rescinded that tech. Uh, but you know, just the fact that he even got it and got ejected in the first place, like that's just ridiculous. The refs are, the refs really need to be held accountable. And that's a, that's a topic for another podcast. We'll talk about that one day eventually. Uh, let's end on another controversial little interview type thing. Uh, Shaq kind of hating on Donovan Mitchell. Uh, a lot of people, you know, there's a big debate on whether it was criticism or whether it was just straight up hating. Uh, so I'm going to read the full quote uh, in a second. Let me pull it up. So here it is. So Shaq interviewed uh, Donovan Mitchell right after a game. And he said, quote, I said tonight that you're one of my favorite players, but you don't have what it takes to get to the next level. I said it on purpose. I wanted you to hear it. What have, uh, what do you have to say about that? And Donovan Mitchell you know, if you go back and watch the clip, he's very obviously shaken by this. He was not expecting it at all. Uh, and it was, man, it just felt so awkward <laughs> to be in there uh, just, just watching it. It gave me secondhand embarrassment personally. Uh, but he responded, I, and Shaq shot back at him, that's it. And Donald Mitchell said, that's it. I've been hearing that since my rookie year. You know, I'm just going to get better and do what I do. What do you think about this? Was it hate or was it or was it criticism? Um, I kind of felt like it was uncalled for. Um, you know, Donovan Mitchell right now is averaging a career high in points and assists at the moment. Um, the team is third in the West and has the third best record in the NBA right now. I mean, I know it's early in the season, so can't go too crazy with those stats. But he's leading, leading a charge for the Jazz um, with the help, of course, with, of Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. But he is the main guy, and he's the team's, you know, franchise player. Uh, you know, Mitchell came into the league averaging 20 points as a rookie. Um, you know, he led the team to the playoffs, made it past the Thunder in the first round, and they competed against the Rockets the second round. No one really thought the Jazz were going to be – doing that in that time frame, um, you know, from, in my opinion, you know, this isn't justified at all. You know, Mitchell has been busting his butt, you know, to keep the jazz relevant, keep the team afloat. Um, without him, that team would not be a playoff team. And if the, even if they are, they were no, they're nowhere near, you know, contending if he's not on the team. Um, the dude pulled out in the bubble last year. He dropped 36 points per game in the series against the Nuggets. I mean, granted, they lost that series when they were up 3-1, you know, but that also goes to the fact that they did have some players missing who opted out and didn't want to play in the bubble as well. Um, I understand Shaq going after Rudy Gobert. Um, his numbers aren't that special for the contract extension that he got. Um, but Mitchell, he's, you know, on a big new deal. I mean, this seems like forced motivation. Uh, if anything, it kind of felt like he's trying to make a controversial statement to get at Mitchell to fire him up, but it just kind of came off as disrespectful. And I, for me, I mean, it seems a lot of old head versus new guy or new head kind of old school versus old, old school versus new school kind of thing going on at the moment. A lot of these comments being made by older players and former players, 
to all these new guys. Um, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why, but I feel like for me, I just felt like this this was not right on Shaq's part. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, I it was I agree with you that it was totally uncalled for. I mean, like I said, watching it gave me secondhand embarrassment. You know, it, it was just a weird moment to ask him or talk to him about this. If you're going to say this to him, you know, I, I appreciate that he said it to his face. But if you're going to say that, you know, don't say it on TV right after a win. Like, what do you expect him to say? Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just so strange. Like, if you're going to tell him, like, about this stuff, either just say it publicly so he gets the message, like, himself, or say it to his face, but say it off air. Like say it, just say it to off, like off air, and uh, Mitchell elaborated uh, in the locker room. They they uh, they pressed him with some questions. And Donovan Mitchell said, "Quote: I hate to take a win like this and make it about what they said about me. Look at how we played. Look at how we guarded. I'm happy." And then he also said, uh, "Quote: Remember the start of the year we came out flat in certain games. Uh, if teams hit us, if teams hit us first, we didn't have a pushback, but now we do." Quote, I'm here to play basketball and to be the best teammate and best player that I can be. If they don't like it, they don't like it. I'm not trying to make this about me. This is team basketball. Look, you can't get a better response than that. I mean, Donovan Mitchell, it's just ridiculous that he's getting this type of criticism because, look, he's in his fourth year. He's like 22 years old. You know, are we expecting him to win a championship right now? with LeBron James in the West on that, on that stacked Lakers team, right? Like, are we, are we really expecting him to take his team to the next level? Like, cause all right, if you want to argue about Donovan Mitchell's impact, let's go, let's go back and talk about last year's playoffs in the bubble. Donovan Mitchell dropped 57, 51 and 44 in three playoff games last year and was shooting 52% on threes. What more do you want him to do? He was the reason that team was even up 3-1 in the first place. Conley was selling. Rudy Gobert was, he was okay, but he was pretty unimpressive. You know, he, he pushed that team to the max it could get. He had 36 that night that Shaq told him that. Like, it's just, it's just so, it's such a, I don't want to say it's a weak move by Shaq, but it's, it's such an uncalled for move. And it's just, you know, Donovan Mitchell doesn't deserve this right now because he is the one. He is the team. You know, it's not like he's underperforming and that's the reason why they're losing the playoffs. No, he's going absolutely bananas and they're still losing because the the players around him just aren't uh, built. Uh, I don't want to say right or maybe built uh, just for Donovan Mitchell to fully succeed. Uh, and a lot of his teammates let him down. Like, let's be real. This is not Donovan Mitchell's fault. He should not take the blame on this. Uh, you know, I Shaq's definitely in the wrong for this. And there wasn't even criticism. He just said, he didn't, he didn't say, you know, in this game, this is, you know, you did this type of thing and you shot this way. You, I don't like how you play this in the game. I don't like how this happened in the game and you did this. He didn't give any examples. He didn't give anything. He just said, I don't think you can step it up when playoff time comes around or something. Like, how was that criticism? Like, thanks for constructive criticism is telling someone, what they do bad, and then telling them how they can improve it. Shaq just saying that, you know, Donovan Mitchell is kind of sitting back like, okay, well, how do I improve that? Like, like give me something to do. Like, it, it wasn't criticism. 
it was not constructive criticism. Anybody who thinks it was has never gotten constructive criticism in their life. Uh, you know, it's just, it was just straight up hating by Shaq, in my opinion. He just, he's kind of, he's coming off as a bitter old man right now. And that's yeah. not great for Shaq. Yeah. Also, Kenny, Kenny the Jet Smith also said that he wanted um, Mitchell to, like, to, if he wanted to be the superstar, be the guy, he wanted him to, like, lead the team more than just scoring. Like, he wanted to lead him, like, like in rebounds and assists and wanted to get more of those. But That's like, constructive criticism. But my thing is, like, everyone keeps forgetting basketball as a team sport at the end of the day. Yeah. When you have a guy like Rudy Gobert already averaging 10-plus rebounds, you have a guy like Conley who leads the team in assists, you got guys to do that to help you out. Those guys supposed to excel at those things to help create one unit to win a championship. You know, Mitchell can't do everything all the time. You know, we'll, you know, only a very few head, a handful of players can do something like that. But a lot of them, you know, a lot of those players still had help. You know, when LeBron won his chip in uh, Cleveland, he had Kyrie and he had Kevin Love. You know, when Michael Jordan won, he had Scottie Pippen. These, all these players had players who could do things. Well, I don't know about for LeBron, but a lot of these players have other teammates that can help them out. And like push them to the, you know, push their team as a whole to the next level. I just feel like this just came out of left field. I did not like this comment whatsoever. Yeah. And like you said before, when Kenny Jet Smith said, I want you to, you know, lead the team in uh, assists or rebounds, I'm like, you know, that's, that's a more fair constructive criticism. You could say, you know, I like your game. I think it'll be even better if you added some playmaking uh, and help playmaker for some of your teammates like that's a constructive form of criticism but just saying i don't think you have what it takes you need to step it up like that's that's not any type of criticism at all that's just straight up hating like i agree 100 honestly yeah and and even going back to what you're saying about you know even lebron like needed teammates and stuff you know lebron didn't he didn't know how to win a championship like that he, he didn't get that mentality until he went to miami and wade kind of passed that down to him and so after that, since that, since that point, I mean, LeBron's entire career has changed. I mean, he's become a winner. He's become, uh, he's won four more championships, you know, possibly five. He's possibly going to win five right this year, maybe even six the next year. So, you know, sometimes it just takes having a good teammate to impart on you what it really takes to win. Uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, could use that, uh, but, you know, even still, he still knows how to win just games by himself in general because just he carries that entire Jazz team's offense. That entire offense is him right now. Uh, and yeah. he definitely needs more help. Uh, I don't like the contract they gave to Rudy Gobert. Uh, you know, yeah, definitely agree. I agree with Shaq there that he was overpaid, but Shaq also was kind of hating in that on that as well, just kind of being a little – I don't want to say like uncouth, but just kind of, he went a little overboard with it. Like to the point where Rudy Gobert, I think he started to hear it and he started to get in his own head and he started to actually perform a little bit worse. <laughs> but, you know, I just don't like this look for Shaq. I think if Shaq wants to say this to guys, he should say it to them it, to their face, but off air, you know, I, putting all this national uh, spotlight on somebody uh, just as motivations kind of, it's kind of unfair to be honest. Like, yeah, honestly, I have nothing much more to say about that. I just feel yeah. like you kind of said everything. Um, like I said, it kind of felt like forced motivation, like to push him to do better. But like, it just came off in such, it was so tone deaf. Um, so it just didn't matter what he said, because what we heard is kind of like, okay, this was 
there was no context to it. There was nothing, like you said, to help him get better. It wasn't criticism. It was just, that's it. That's the statement. And I don't know. For me, I just felt like this was a really bad look on Shaq. Hopefully, you know, it doesn't get into Mitchell's head. I don't think it will. But, you know, we'll see what happens from here on out, honestly. Yeah. And on that note, uh, welcome to the end of the Speak Truth Sports podcast. Uh, uh, once again, I've been Bert. Glenn, as always. Oh, Trey, as always. My apologies. <laughs> You're good. Uh, and, oh, what's up? Okay, uh, technical issues. I think uh, I think Trey's phone just died or something. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll end it off here. So uh, thank you for uh, listening to the Speech Youth Sports Podcast. Uh, I hope you will join us again next week uh, as we round up weekly sports news and discuss it. Uh, and yeah, uh, thank you all for watching. Please leave a like, comment, subscribe, do all that good stuff. Uh, follow us on all our, all our social medias. We can find us just about anywhere at Speech Youth Sports. And yeah, uh, this has been Bert and I'm signing off.